Down is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, the matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. We cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com Welcome to The Rundown, your weekly Fab Four addiction. We are all here. We are assembled. We're going to be joined tonight by a very special guest. McCarrick abuse survivor James Grind will join us later in the program. So much to get to. Trump indicted again, this time criminally. Canadian fires are wreaking hell in New York City. That's weird. Invalid masses. Is that the new pandemic that's about to spread across the church? Operation Blue Beam is in full effect. We'll be talking about that. Tucker now on Twitter. We might have some clips for you, but of course, our top story tonight, which we'll get to, Father James Jackson, FSSP, took a plea deal. This is the rundown. Let's get started. gentlemen welcome to the rundown as i said joined by special guest tonight james grind we're gonna we'll get right into our top story tonight two days ago or was it yesterday it was yesterday father james v uh james jackson fssp member of the fssp took a plea deal 
in exchange for a reduced sentence, in exchange for the government dropping their charges of possession of child porn, it appears that Father James Jackson pleaded out and will throw himself on the mercy of the court. He pled guilty to receiving child pornography, receiving, as opposed to possessing. These legal distinctions, of course, uh, make all the difference in the world. Uh, when I think of uh, how a wide receiver might receive the football, if he receives the ball, he possesses the ball. Maybe those are two different things. Um, sentencing will be on September 11th. So on Thursday, the Feast of Corpus Christi, he uh, took a plea deal. And on secular holiday in the United States of America, September 11th, when we commemorate our government attacking us, uh, he will be sentenced by our government. Coincidentally, Ryan, the same day uh, that uh, our injustice system broke the back of Father James Jackson, um, well, they indicted a uh, president of the United States. So um, make of that what you will. What we'll do is we'll go around the horn. Um, James Grind, thank you so much for joining us. I'll introduce you here in a second. Uh, we'll go around the horn with uh, first, uh, we'll go to Ryan and then James and then Father Martin for initial reactions, two and a half minutes each, gentlemen, on your thoughts on the Father Jackson case. And then we'll get to you, uh, Mr. Grind, um, and we'll have you, I think, for the next hour or so, or however much time you're schedule allowed nothing else to do so my initial reaction is betrayal really i knew the man for a little over five years before the indictment and i haven't spoken to him or it was since he was arrested and i haven't spoken to him since that happened i did send him a message at the time um you know and i i feel the betrayal is one of two ways you know, it's like, let's suppose like the most extreme theory amongst those still defending him and, and obviously former parishioners, which I 100 percent understand. They knew him longer than I did. And, and I revered the man. I, I honestly revered the man. Um, but if, if he is innocent and has been set up all this time, as we've previously maintained on this program, then he is now not just admitting, just not not just lying to the for what you know if, if it's some kind of legal maneuver if it's some kind of oh well they're going to find me guilty anyway so this would be less years i can live out in peace somewhere under you know in pneumonia or whatever uh if that if that's really what's going on um like in the most positive way you could possibly spin everything then he is essentially he's lying and giving public scandal by saying he committed a grievous crime which i think should be a capital crime namely uh Child, you know, to child porn, whether it's possession, whether it's a, you, you have any agency at all in its acquisition or whatever it is, then you should get the death penalty. And so that it, it's one of the things I'm looking at now and I'm like, you know, I, I challenged somebody from uh, one of one of the sock puppet accounts for uh, one of Christy Niles's brown nosers. And I said, hey, look, if he is if it's incontrovertible evidence, then I will not fail to call for the death penalty. Well, he is pleading guilty to you know to some aspect that of, of the chain of custody of seeking out at least whatever i mean the big question is what does reception mean legally and that's something i'd have to look up but he's pleading guilty to this he should probably get the death penalty even if he's innocent because then that's what the crime is he's pleading guilty all i have to look at on the outside is he's given a guilty plea and so there is a sense of betrayal it's like i thought i knew this man i hope that there's some way that it's not true but he's pleading guilty to it. So whatever the legal maneuvers, whatever anything, I just have to step back and say, you know, the Father Jackson that I knew, thought I knew, would have also agreed 
that that somebody who's guilty of this or pleading guilty to this should get the death penalty. And so, um, you know, I think that we've generally been consistent in as much as we were hoping and looking that, but, you know, we never closed off and said, no, 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 there's, you know, there's, there's no way he could possibly be guilty in any way, shape or form. We just merely stated our opinion on how we thought about it. Now that's been laid to rest. That's kind of how I view it. And so that's, that's where the, the rubber meets the road. I, I you know, I don't want to, you know, and still my reverence for who I thought this man was is so great. I almost feel like I'm throwing him under the bus, but it's like, I got nothing else to go on. You're pleading guilty. So anyway, there it is. Okay. And that's Ryan. Uh, we'll go to James next as promised. James, what's your take on this? Uh, being uh, as much of an outsider as anybody, I- I'm not even sure if you knew Father Jackson. Well, <clears throat> thanks for uh, the question. I-, I did not know Father Jackson personally, but I have had uh, multiple interactions with him over the years. I can't say that if he saw me today, he would recognize me. But of course, I've uh, been in, in and out of uh, Littleton, Colorado, where he was based for a number of years, uh, whether it was visiting uh, friends who were getting married or just uh, passing through and then uh, going to uh, to mass. So that was the extent of my uh, knowledge of Father Jackson, other than what people pointed out to me online, his various uh, writings of, of that nature and, and uh, what have you. Um, I've always, always been at a distance. Of course, I, I don't, uh, uh, make celebrities of priests only because, um, I, many of you might not remember the, uh, the very fam- famous or infamous, uh, father, um, I forget his name, Irish last name. Uh, he was a, a Dominican who was forced, uh, out of, uh, his, his order because he was pointing out a lot of problems that were happening within his order. Father John, uh, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting his name. Um, in, in any case, he pointed a lot of all, all this stuff out to me in, in the uh, mid-90s, uh, through his sermons, I should add. And so I've always sort of operated uh, with uh, one eye open all the time. And call it what it is, it might be unfortunate in, in our time, but it's certainly not foolhardy, uh, I would say. So e- even though I'm sympathetic to uh, to to the fact that uh, we cannot trust the uh, judiciary anymore, or uh, people who are using it as a a weapon, or you know, because people are uh, weaponizing it, it's hard coming away from having listened to major parts of the uh, audio of the court proceedings. It, it's it's um, it would be hard to come away from having listened to all of that saying you know this man is innocent whether or not this is a tactic his lawyer has advised him on that's going to benefit him later on in the future i have no idea but as ryan was just saying when you plead guilty whether or not you think the the court is uh or rather when you plead uh uh guilty whether or not you think that the court is um uh you know, going after you maliciously, uh, that in the eyes of people who are observing this, you know, makes you seem liable to some degree for the offenses that are being uh, thrown at you. Now, I would think if I were in that position, I would hope that if I were in that position, I would have the uh, moral fortitude to stand up for what I believe is my good name and plead my in my innocence, no matter 
how it is seen on the outside, whether it's a foolhardy thing and you're going to end up in jail, you know, yes, let me take that chance rather than going for a plea deal. Some people might uh, do the opposite. They might, they might say, well, you know, this is going to be a short-term thing. Only God knows the truth. And if I lie in this position, I'm not necessarily lying to get away from the truth or to save myself, but to later, later on, you know, have a certitude that all of this is going to be put out in the, in the open. I don't know. There's too many ways to read, read this, but for right now, the evidence gathered against him seems to be very strong in the sense that they read charges out to him and he had to give his assent to having committed those crimes, to, to having had knowledge and position, uh, uh, a possession of those items. So right now, again, still being um, removed from all of this, uh, I'm just hoping that justice is served, whatever that justice is. Father Martin, I'll go to you next. Um, there are some people in the chat who are saying, look, you know, I, uh, if, if he's innocent, why did he plead guilty? That makes him a liar. Others say, well, some, even some saints in history have uh, pled guilty uh, or have been manipulated into pleading guilty. Uh, we know that uh, we, we, I mean, we do know that we live in a post-constitutional nation. We do know that we live in a nation that um, in which torture is, is permissible, especially torture of, um, of undesirable people. Are we, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer this question however you'd like to and or pivot into the general question, but it seems like we are expecting the, the, the a heroic level of virtue from priests when we're just sitting on YouTube um, talking about it in the chat room. Um, I'm not so sure, not so sure that anybody, I don't, that was a three. That was a three banger. It I was on I, loop. Sorry about that. I don't know if anybody in the chat room has ever been subjected to um, Gestapo tactics or to torture or to sleep deprivation or to solitary confinement. I don't know that anybody in the chat has been deprived of his or her vocation for extended periods of time. You know, so at the end of the day, for unless you've actually been tortured in the chat and you can talk about how you never broke. Um, and your own level of heroic virtue, that's fine. Um, are we expecting too much here? It's an interesting question. I mean, for sure, as you know, if priests can fall in one way or not in another, and we don't know what his rationale necessarily may be. I mean, he, he could have been explained to his or by his lawyer uh, the rules of the game and the different tactics and strategies regarding the rules of the game. And so the objective of the game is to win. And as we know in like football, you used that uh, analogy earlier. Is it morally licit? Is it, is it moral for a human being to take a football and to throw a pump fake over to the left, intentionally deceiving 11 guys that are facing him to then throw the ball to the right? Uh, we kind of forget that even in, even in our own games, um, there is a way to lie morally, throwing fakes to go left instead of going right stuff like that. But in terms of law, law is a little bit more important. Law is a little bit more uh, well, authoritative. I mean, all, all uh, just law comes from God. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the system itself is just. That in order for a man to, for instance, like Father James Jackson, to appeal a court decision to rule out certain evidence, he is required by law, again, rules of the game, to plead guilty first to then maybe make an appeal 
so that if that appeal goes through and it's accepted and that evidence is thrown out, it's literally a whole new game. It's almost as if um, you're playing a soccer game or something and near the end of the game, there's a handball in the box penalty kick. Referee awards a penalty kick. The other team scores, they win. Game's over. It's almost as if like you get a second chance. You can have the referees review the call after the game, say, oh, no, that wasn't a handball, and then start the game back over from uh, whatever time was left on the clock. It seems like a very slight chance, like a Hail Mary pass. Um, but nevertheless, it's, it's it's a chance. And so who knows what kind of cards are stacked up against him. Um, but I think, uh, to be honest, it, it is, is – I mean, we've been following – um, Father James Jackson this these last two years and when he spoke with his friends he was always cautious with what he had to say of course I mean we can understand that but uh, he was always at least I felt wording things in such a way that always gave people hope in his innocence and so that's what really kind of confuses me in uh in the whole admission of guilt um for certain things would be that uh he would have then had to even deceive his own friends to their to their own faces mm-hmm. um so yeah mm. um let me just add something and then we'll, we'll we'll introduce our special guest tonight james grind um so i was actually live streaming the courtroom proceedings. I was one of like six people in the Zoom. It was a password protected thing. You had to have a password to be in there. I was one of the people in there along with Saigon Karen, Christine Niles, Nazi Niles, you know, Winebox, whatever her name is. And um, and I actually heard the proceedings. And I, unlike her, I didn't make an illegal recording. You're not allowed to record the event. She did. Um, the federal marshals are probably aware of that as far as I know. Um, the recording that she released which James alluded to, was that was edited, highly edited, doctored. One of the things that happened in the proceeding yesterday that the pillar didn't report, and of course uh, a lying church militant would never report, is one little caveat to this entire thing. And I have spoken with criminal prosecutors, criminal prosecutors, not like people who have done an internship and then worked at church militant and never practiced law people who put people behind bars for a living. And they have told me that this carve-out, this concession that Father James Jackson obtained from the government is unprecedented, extraordinary, exceedingly rare. Most of them have never seen it in their entire careers. That carve-out is as follows. Father Jackson, just like anybody else who takes a plea deal, who pleads guilty in exchange for a lesser sentence, relinquishes the right to appeal down the road. You don't get to appeal. You don't get to plead guilty and then later on try to appeal. That's like gaming the system and they don't let you do that. You relinquish your rights to appeal. Father Jackson has the right to appeal in one specific scenario. He has the right to appeal the motion to, co- the motion to suppress the evidence. What is the motion to suppress the evidence, you ask? Let me answer very quickly. In Fourth Amendment law, We are protected against our government from illegal searches and seizures. The government can't just come into our house and take whatever they want without probable cause. In John Calcagni's masterclass written, which anyone who's read that, even people who don't like Father Jackson, who have read his motion to suppress the evidence, they have said 
That is a masterclass in Fourth Amendment law. In his motion to suppress the evidence, he argues, I think very effectively, and this is a procedural argument, that the government unlawfully obtained that hard drive. They never had probable cause linking them to Father James Jackson. The only thing they had at best was an IP address to a rectory. In other words, an IP address to a dormitory. In other words, if the government were to, dis were to discover in an apartment building that there may be an illegal weapon in an apartment building, does that give the government the right to kick in every single door and search 36 different units looking for that illegal weapon? The courts have answered definitively that the answer is no. The government needs to find more specific probable cause linking it to a specific location and or a specific person. And John Calcagni argued in his motion to suppress the evidence that the government did not reach that burden. And I can tell you from my time running a tier one data center, supporting 40,000 users in seven different locations, three different time zones across six different classifications, that an IP address is an IP address. It's one of the easiest things in the world to fake, and it's one of the most useless things in the world to obtain. It can be spoofed and it can and it can mean a lot of things. You can have an IP address to a router that terminates for an entire neighborhood. Does that mean if you find kitty porn transmitting to that IP address that you have the right as the government to search every single house in the neighborhood, to seize every electronic device in the neighborhood? No. In Nazi Germany, perhaps, or in Stalinist Russia or Maoist China, it, it may mean that. But here in these United States, in the USSA, or whatever remains of the United States of America, the government does not have the right to do that. And that's what John Calcogny effectively argued in the motion to suppress the evidence. The thing that Christine Niles doesn't want you to know, the thing that Church Militant doesn't want you to know, is that Jim Jackson has the ability to appeal that motion. He didn't prevail in the motion. The judge didn't grant him the motion. The judge didn't say, hey, the government messed up. But Father Jim Jackson has the ability to go to the appellate court and ask that judge to review it and ask that judge if an IP address is sufficient evidence to seize one man's devices and, 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 and arrest him if an IP, based on, on, on an IP address. Again, I think that everybody who is interested in this case should read the motion to suppress. It is compelling. Uh, it is exceptional. It may be studied in law schools down the line. Then that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of people who actually know this stuff. That being said, if in that scenario, and this was explained on the audio that Christine Saigon Karen would not allow you to have. She illegally recorded some version of the audio and then highly edited it for whatever reason that she would do that. Who knows why? But in that audio, the judge explains to Father Jim Jackson and forces his defense attorney, John Calcogny, to re-explain to him in that audio, in layman's terms, if you prevail in this extraordinary carve-out, this concession, this once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-million concession that nobody gets, if you prevail in that motion, in appealing that motion, you now have the right to pull your guilty plea and fight the government with a, a plea, replea not guilty and the government has to prosecute you without the hard drive, without the unlawfully obtained evidence. Now, that is a fact that happened yesterday, that the Pillar didn't report, CNA didn't report it, 
LifeSide didn't report it. Nobody reported it because nobody took the time to actually listen to what was going on. And unlike the felons over at Church Militant, I didn't make an illegal copy. They did. And I'm sure that they'll face the consequences to it. But I just want you all to understand the tactics involved here before you render your decision about what is at play. Now, uh, we have to get to our guests in this, uh, this evening. You know, you know him probably from Church Militant. Uh, James Grine is one of the, he's the insider of an insider. Okay, don't misunderstand me. This man was at the right hand of one of the most powerful men in the world. He was side by side with presidents, politicians, and popes, entertainers, Hollywood elites. He saw things throughout the course of his life that, God willing, none of us will have to see. James Grine has the experience that uh, few of us ever will have and the perspective that we are greatly, greatly uh, grateful for for you joining us this evening. Mr. James Grine is the reason why Cardinal McCarrick will go to jail. He is the reason why the, uh, the entire top has been blown off of the Lavender Mafia. He is one of the most important men in the history of ending this abuse crisis in the world. And he joins us tonight on the rundown to talk about the abuse crisis, which ties so perfectly into the Father Jackson story. James, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Michael, thank you very much for a great introduction. I hope I can live up to that. I am just here by the grace of God, and I uh, hope to be able to add to your discussion at all levels. I am uh, delighted to be here. Thank you. Um, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. My, my first question to you, James, and then I want to go around the horn with everybody, but my first question is, obviously there's an abuse crisis. It is happening. It is prevalent. It is, it is continuing. Uh, some people are going to defend Father Jackson to the death. Some people are going to say, well, he pled guilty. He's an abuser. Regardless of where you stand on him, there's this SSPX priest who rapes 27 kids and he should go, he should go to death for sure. Uh, regardless of what you think about Jackson or the, F or the SSPX priest, it's happening from top to bottom in the church. My question to you, James, is what can be done about this pandemic of abuse of children? Well, <clears throat> very powerful question. I will say that uh, pedophiles, and they are and so many of them in, in the Catholic Church. You look at Theodore McCarrick himself. He ordained over 200 priests a year when he was in Newark, New Jersey. His, his tentacles, as, uh, as Carla Maria Vigno has said, that are endless. They reach to the ends of the world. They have, he has, he has uh, created so many people in his own likeness that... Uh, they believe that they can get away with everything, and they can. They can because they believe that since they are raised above man, so when they when they become ordained, they're raised above us. So they're more important than I am, and they and they can dictate for what they want to do. And they've been living under this guise called canon law. They believe that their law is above civil law. 
and their law states that uh, um, in the case of a pedophile, in case of a priest who abuses, they will send him to some sort of rehab, and they will try to get him to admit to his bishop that he has done wrong. And his bishop, in turn, will take that as a confession, and he's no longer permitted to speak to anybody else about that. And it becomes a pontifical secret. And that's where the main problem is in canon law. But an ordinary priest will, will, will make a report to his bishop, and the bishop is not allowed to do anything according to canon law. And according to this law, it says that my priest will then be rehabbed. And then when he comes back from rehab, he'll, I'll have a conversation with him and say, gee, Father Bob, are you okay? Well, I think I'm okay now. I spent 30 days thinking about my how bad I am. <laughs> okay, Father Bob, let's bring, instead of sending you back to your old place, why don't we send you someplace else so I'm sure you need a clean slate and you can go someplace else where you can can really do the, the grace of God. The problem with all of that, gentlemen, is simple. The bishop is not speaking about the gospel given to us by Jesus Christ. They are making up their own rules, their own laws. They're all man-made laws in canon. And they continuously rewrite them to cover for themselves. Mm -hmm. It was rewritten five times in the last, since 2018 by Francis. When is Francis going to wake up and realize it's not his church, it's Jesus Christ's church, and that he cannot rewrite the laws just to, just to protect himself or to protect all the people who are around him? McCarrick. Let's loop everyone in. Sorry? Let's loop everybody in on what you're saying, James, because I think what you're saying is important. It used to be called the secret of the Holy Office. That's how it was defined in 1922 uh, in a document called Secret Contenere, in which all sexual allegations against a priest were covered by a pontifical secret. It then became known as the pontifical secret, I think sometime in the 1970s. That can be found in Article 6 and Article 30 of Raviona Delicta in 2010 under Benedict's. 2010. Uh, so we're talking about the fact almost a hundred years of secrecy here, a yeah. defect in canon law that continues to this day. And they continue to uh, make changes around the edges uh, uh, under pressure from various governments of the United States that have, that have gotten onto this. No, most notably the government of Australia and not to mention the fact I've never said one good word about the United Nations on the rundown, but the United Nations is pressuring the Vatican Finally. To change canon law. And now uh, th there, there are no mandatory reporting requirements. Uh, there, there were, even was a 2002 exception for the United States. This was after the Boston thing blew open. So I just want to loop everybody into it so that you can continue uh, your opening dialogue, James. There, is, there clearly is a defect in canon law. Nobody seems to be talking about it in the West. And I think that's a big problem. Absolutely. So in 1988, I... I was in Rome and I spoke to uh, John Paul II and I told him that Theodore McCarrick is molesting me, he's abusing me, he's been abusing me for a long time. 
John Paul II looked at me. I know he understood what I said, but did nothing. Wow. I was hoping he was going to say something for me, maybe help me with some, some object. Nothing was ever spoken about. There are other gentlemen that I have spoken to since 2018 who've had similar or like type uh, conversations with John Paul II, with high-ranking cardinals in the Vatican and other cardinals across the United States. Mainly, uh, most of them are in Baltimore. Other are in, uh, in in Jacksonville, Florida. And every time they speak to these men, they say, "Well, we will. I will talk to the authorities about this for you." But we think that I would think that, oh, he's going to go talk to the police about that. No, he's going to talk to the authorities inside the Vatican, inside inside the church itself and they're going to hide it even more they're going to they're going to uh they're going to stall me and they're going to hide it even more the fact is that theodore mccarrick abused me for many many years he took me down a road where he believed that he was this my pathway to christ and he had me he had me groomed from age 11. and anything he did i was i was supposed to believe him because my parents had told me that I should do that. So I did that. The grace of God removed McCarrick from my life. But the idea is that when Theodore McCarrick was outed in 2018 by uh, when Cardinal O'Connor said that we found credible evidence against him, I spent four days on my knees praying about should I open my mouth? And when, when Theodore McCarrick said that, well, I don't re really remember that altar boy. It made me very, very upset because I wondered if Teddy was going to forget me too. I was the first person he baptized. I was, he was ingrained in my family. And if he was going to forget me too, then we know that he's a liar. Well, he is a liar. But here he is trying to... Uh, to, to tread water in 2018, and he's having a hard time, and they threw him out of the, 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 uh, at, at the College of Cardinals, which was the first one to ever be uh, removed from that uh, higher level. And then he had to be uh, placed in, a, in a, a life of prayer and penance. But it was in December 27 in 2018 when I was summoned to go to the Archdiocese of New York and be deposed by a deputy who was uh, deputized by Pope Francis to take my deposition. The deposition was, could have lasted three hours. It lasted 47 minutes. It lasted only 47 minutes because every time the, uh, the Reverend Welch was asking me a question, I'd go into deep PTSD and sometimes I wouldn't come out for a few hours, for a few minutes. Excuse me. And the last question he asked me was uh, something that he he was he alluded to afterwards. He said, I, I can't ask you any more questions. I was afraid that you were not going to come back from the last because you were there and you spoke in such detail 
that nobody who could ever possibly not be there say such things. And everything was there. I'm so grateful at that point in my life that Reverend Welch, who had deposed other victims, had the wherewithal to just stop and wait because he knew where I was going. The five questions were enough. And all of, Mc, all of McCarrick's lawyers were on the phone, but they weren't allowed to ask questions, only what Reverend Welch was. And none of them had questions afterwards. And 19 days later, he was thrown out of the church. Mm-hmm. He was told, I was told during that deposition that Theodore McCarrick would not be permitted to uh, to appeal the decision, that he was not going to go through a canonical trial. He was not going to go through all of that because there wasn't any time. Francis needed to get something done and something done very quickly. But, you know, McCarrick got a chance to appeal because that's who he is. Yep. And he, he uh, they, they, said, well, you can appeal for as long. That's why it, they, they made the decision in 19 days from uh, December 27th, but it didn't come out until February or March because he had 30 days to appeal, but he lost his appeal. See, the power of a human being driven by Christ to do the good for the human being, and not just for me, but to show the world what you were dealing with, God allowed that to happen. And he was very forceful and very powerful. And since these days, I have worked with many holy people across the world from from many different cardinals, but mostly just people like you and I, Mm -hmm. who have to understand that when a man is abused by by a person who wears a black shirt and a black pair of pants and a white collar. He's not raised. He's not any better than I am. And if he's going to try to tell me that his way is the best way, he's perverting God's holy word. The holy word that I learned in in Catholic schools in the gospel. He's trying to tell me that his version of the gospel is more important. And then they hide behind canon law. Let me jump in because you, you mentioned canon law again. And let me read the following quote. When the facts of a particular case are examined carefully, it may well emerge that the cleric did indeed commit a sexual offense or a number of them with a minor. As such, he may be liable to punishment by the criminal law of the state. Nevertheless, because of the influence of pedophilia, he may not be liable by reason of at least diminished imputability to any canonical penalty or perhaps to only a mild penalty, to a formal warning or reproof, or to a penal remedy. This is from Canon Law, Letter and Spirit, Canon Law Society of Great Britain and Ireland, 1995, page 805. Let me bring in the panel here. What we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go to you, Father, uh, first. I want to go to Father Martin what we are seeing in canon law that James Grine is uncovering for us here on the rundown is that the more children you rape, the less likely you are of being dismissed from the priesthood. 
the more children you rape, the more likely you are to be retained as a priest. It says right there, you might be guilty of a, of a crime in civil law, but canon law is going to go easy on you, and we're going to find a way, if possible, keywords, if possible, to retain you. Father Martin, does that disgust you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's it also presumes the fact that, uh, I mean, it shows you why the pontifical secret is necessary, because if the bishops did report something against civil law, well, then they wouldn't be able to retain the priest because he'd go to jail. You know, 20 years as the SSPX got, uh, the priest from the SSPX, they'd go to jail. So the pontifical secret was necessary in order to, to keep them out of jail, essentially. But to presume that because pedophilia is so disgusting that no human it's not no human being is even capable of it that it, if someone actually commits it and commits it a hundred times that means they were basically possessed and therefore completely and totally irresponsible morally not culpable uh, for any of these acts um, which is beyond beyond absurd it, that that in and of itself is disgusting now er, in earlier times it seemed more plausible that the church was simply trying to defend itself, defend its reputation saying, okay, we'll deal, we'll deal with this internally. We don't need it to be, you know, splattered all over the news, all the kind of stuff that this priest did this stuff. Um, so we'll just, you know, reserve all, all of the sexual sins and we'll take care of it, you know, uh, behind the scenes, but it'll be taken care of nonetheless. But that changed into something else that you can report everything else. You can, you can uh, dismiss up someone from the priesthood because they had an affair with a woman or some, something else like, uh, like that, something a little bit more natural understandable but then pedophilia occurs and no they just yeah send them to a rehab center for for a month or two and then they put them right back in the same situations um with children it's absolutely it's absolutely disgusting i want to go to you james next on this um in criminal law to plead insanity is an extremely high bar it's something that's hard to prove um, it's it's a very steep hill to climb to prove insanity. But in canon law, all you have to prove is the appearance, the appearance of not being responsible. This is in the 1983 code. Lesser punishments for repeat offenders or anyone with a quote-unquote psychological disorder that decreases the punishment. That's still the law of the land today. And the I, I go back to this. The more children a priest rapes, the more likely he is to be retained in the priesthood. According to the 1983 Pope Saint John Paul the Great Code of Canon Law. Yeah, uh, this is pretty uh, bad. Uh... And uh, there's not a way to dice it. It's not something that uh, you can just sort of uh, put aside as not being uh, problematic. It's very problematic. And I'm not sure exactly who would be defending something like this. But as uh, Father just said, back in the uh, days of the high church, uh, or, you know, high days of the church, rather, uh, things like this were done to protect the church from... Uh, her enemies, her enemies on the outside who were seeking seeking to bring her down, and of course, at that time, you know, uh, the church would have been would have uh, easily said, you know, this is an internal uh, matter 
rather than dealing with this out in the open. Let's uh, figure this out. And they would have a swift uh, way to take care of something like this. Of course, remember the, the whole travesty of uh, Henry the, Henry the uh, Second and uh, Thomas Beckett, you know, uh, this kind of reminds you of that. But then when you look at this 1983 code of uh, canon law, uh, what it has carved out for repeat offenders, this kind of smells of what we see in our day as hyperpapalism. You know, uh, people are out there uh, latching on to canon law uh, for the wrong for the wrong reasons, not because they're looking for any uh, resolve of whatever issues might be in their own dioceses. Uh, I'm talking about bishops now they're looking for a way to uh basically remove any shame and guilt and any uh sort of uh blame uh from their standpoint and uh this is not the way to go around leading uh sheep you know uh in one's diocese it's very very problematic and this issue should be resolved uh very quickly i'm not sure how we would go around uh drawing attention to this except just talking about it and ex exposing it for what it is. And if the United Nations is indeed <laughs> leading the charge, then for 24 hours, you know, I'll, I'll be, you know, right with them standing in line. You know, You're going to wear the blue helmet? Yeah, I'll wear the blue helmet if that's what it takes. <laughs> oh, you heard it here first. Uh, yeah, James the Trad is going to wear the blue helmet. Ryan, just a note, that's the Canon Law 1983 Code 1321-3. Yeah. 1324 one Ryan, I want to talk. I actually, I'll talk about the money with uh, with uh, James Grine here. Uh, but this is, in my opinion, this is Freudian psychology, which has infiltrated the church. Mm. In which case, your imputability is diminished because you, it's not that you, it's not that you've committed a crime of raping a child. It's that you just suffer from some mental disorder, and you're the real victim. And the canon lawyers will get you off if all you have to do is say, well, I've had these fantasies for at least six months. I've done it to at least five children. Uh, I struggle with this deeply. Mm. At that point, if there's a legal way, according to the state, uh, to hide your case, they will hide your case. They, mm -hmm. must, they must hide your case. Um, Unless you get caught. Unless you get caught, right? Unless you get caught, in which case, and if there's mandatory reporting requirements in, in whatever state. But in the developing world, there often are not mandatory reporting mm -hmm. requirements. Right. So you're talking about the mass, mass abuse of third world children mm -hmm. in, 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 in the third world where there's no civil protection for them. Right. A lot of that happens there. And then guess where else it happens is, is children illegally crossing the border, which the USCCB is for some reason a great advocate of, um, even though that's where a lot of children disappear into the human trafficking networks of the world. This demonic um, you know, way of just, just netting in all these victims. But if we go back, this is the 1917 code. Uh, canon 2359, Article 2, quote, if clerics engage in a delict against the sixth precept of the Decalogue, you know, that shall not commit adultery, etc., with a minor below the age of 16, or engage in adultery, debauchery, bestiality, sodomy, pandering, or incest with blood relatives or affines uh, in the first degree, they are suspended, declared infamous, and are deprived of any office, benefits, uh, that's a salary position of benefits, dignity, responsibility, if they have such whatsoever 
and in more serious cases, they are to be deposed. So that's the, 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 that's the bedrock law from 1917 all the way through until the 83 canon law replaces it. When did most of this crap happen? Well, it happened in the 30s, it happened in the 40s, it happened in the 50s, and it exploded in the 60s and 70s and continued in the 80s. Uh, bishops called on the carpet after the Boston business. Some of them were trained candidates. Some of them are, you know, when they were adjudicating cases of these guys and sending them off, bringing them back, putting them in a new parish, whatever. This canon was in force. And you have these bishops in formal depositions. Uh, Bishop Carlson, who was in, um, oh, good heavens, what, what diocese was he in? I'm thinking it was Kansas or it was some other place. And, and he was a canonist, too. He had his doctorate in canon law from Rome at a time when this canon was still in force. And he sits there and says, oh, we didn't know what to do. Canon law has already provided the answer at that time, before they decided to <laughs> crystallize the system with new laws, um, it put it in place. No, you know what to do. These guys are already deprived of any office they have in the church. You declare them infinite. You throw them out, if nothing else. And you know, and some bishops did call the cops. You look at Bishop Flavin in Lincoln, Nebraska, until more recently, there was not a single abuse case in Lincoln, Nebraska, because you have Bishop Flavin, and this is back in the 60s. Uh, here's reports that a, a priest has buggered a child. He finds out about it, finds out it's true, investigates it, calls the cops. That guy is immediately deprived of any office whatsoever. He is sent to prison and he goes to the families and say, well, what, what can we do to make this right? This is horrible. Nothing can ever make it right. But what can we do? Tell us. And he did. He, he covered anything and everything for them. And, uh, and Flavin wasn't conservative either. He just had a human bone in his body, ultimately. And, and that's why Lincoln, Nebraska, until more recently, like I said, after Bruskowitz's tenure, you know, they didn't have these kind of abuse problems because he was like one of the only bishops that did what they should have done to begin with. Where really what they should have done is march them out, shot them by firing squad, probably hanged them or something else. So, but that was one canon. I do just want to jump in and say Pope St. Pius, Pope St. Pius V in 1570 prescribed beheading for mm -hmm. pedo priests. Right. Um, well, so, you know, there's a story that some people have heard. Pius XI uh, found out that there was a priest who was working in the Vatican that had buggered a kid. And once they had it, they, they put him in there. They, 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 in, in interrogation, he had confessed to it. And Pius XI ordered him forthwith to be shot by firing squad in the Vatican. I saw the very cortile where it happened in the Vatican because there was a priest there when I was in the archives researching. He took me out and showed me where it happened. Um, you know, it, it did, that's what, you know, should be done with all these people. Of course, it hasn't been what was done or what, what will be done in the coming years either. But you see, and it's just like you say with the Freudian psychology, it's look at Canon 1321, quote, no one can be punished for the commission of an, this is the modern canon law. No one can be punished for the commission of an external violation of a law or precept unless it is gravely imputable by reason of malice or, or of culpability. So on the surface, what they're trying to do is demonstrate, you know, basic principle of demonstrating intent, a mens rea. And in and of itself, this is fairly innocent in terms of, well, you want to show the guy intended to commit a crime versus, you know, uh, you know, just did, did wrote the paperwork wrong by accident or something like that. 
But the way that has been, you know, but the, the, again, like so many things since Vatican II, you put in these ambiguities that on the surface can fly with the color of love, but in reality, then they twist it around. And then, you know, it's like pedophilia becomes this thing that, well, obviously that's a mental disorder. So they really didn't really have, you know, when they commit the act, there is a malice of the act. There is no way a human being looks at a child and, 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 and commits a sexual act with him and doesn't know what he is doing is wrong. Now, it could be, yeah, because he is so screwed up in his head for whatever reason that, that he's, he's carrying out this action, he's consenting to carry out this action, but no human being, no matter how disordered, does not understand this is wrong. Because again, the, the idea that you can take this canon and now apply it to pedophilia is itself a denial of natural law. And as we know from moral theologians, there can never be a sin that is directly contrary to natural law. Can't. Can't happen. <clears throat> Even, you know, except for absolute invincible ignorance. There's no way a priest who's gone to seminary, who even your Novus Ordo Seminary, has no concept that buggering children is, con is okay by natural law. Invincibly ignorant of what natural law requires vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, what in Revelation is the sixth and ninth commandment restraining your passions there is no way that they they don't know that so they are in fact you know they, they cannot really be defended by this canon if you're going to apply natural law but what they've done is just like you said is this inversion apply this for who remembers benedict rochelle benedict rochelle was a psychologist franciscan bit, bit, played a big part in the fran fires of the renewal who and i've met many of them they seem to be really you know really good just really honest but like looking for for true religion right within the mess of the modern church. And, you know, it generally seemed to be decent friars, even though they're Nova Sordo, right? Well, Groeschel was this big celebrity on EWTN for a long time. Does anybody remember when he came out and said, well, it's not the priest's fault, it's the kids that lead them on. You're just, wait, 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 what did you just say? <laughs> he, he literally is blaming the victims yep. because that's what his entire psychological training, which is all Freudian, told him was going on. All yeah. of these poor priests that have these, no, 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 no. Um, can we use four letter words? The F words trying to come to my mind and I'm trying to suppress it because it, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I hovering, over, I'm hovering over the muting you button. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some decorum, but it's like, no, yeah. you don't get to do that. That is not, no, you that is not natural. That is not human. I don't care what your psychological BS and your pilot on higher degrees says. On these matters you can't if you look at a children and you're sexually aroused you need to check yourself into a place where you will never be in touch with children again as as a man of your volition if you want to save your soul and and if you feel that and then you're going to go act on it you know you are doing something that's so wrong that god yeah. should blot you out from the earth let's go back to james grind um the uh most heroic person on this podcast tonight and um, maybe one of the most important people in, in the fight to correct course here. James, I want to ask you about... Yeah, take a bow. Take a bow, James. Yeah. We're, we're, uh... <laughs> okay. I want to talk about the money. There's a lot of money slushing around in uh, this. I just wrote down a couple notes of people who get paid when a priest abuses children or looks at child pornography. Uh, first there's the, uh, there's the priest who himself is paid for life. 
You know, he's not laicized, he's retained. And in fact, his workload reduces in some cases, you know, he's like put into like these easy assignments where he has less to do, but he gets paid out for life. Okay. Uh, how about the psychs and the rehab centers, et cetera, and the doctors, uh, they get paid to write these reports that say that the priest uh, has these issues. The canon lawyers like Tom Doyle, for example, or Joe Balistrieri. Uh, how about the diocesan lawyers? How about the victims uh, advocates? How about the USCCB? They all, the, there's all these lawyers involved here who are representing all the parties here. They get enriched on this stuff. How about on staff private investigators? Many dioceses and archdioceses around the country and around the world have private eyes around the world uh, who... Uh, how about the victims assistance coordinators? They're on staff uh, to cover this stuff. How about the nonprofits like SNAP that do nothing, nothing for abuse victims? Or perhaps the conference venues, right? Let's have a conference. Let's get all the bishops together and all the important people together at the Marriott, uh, you know, in D.C. or Baltimore. Uh, well, the Marriott wins out on that. And how about how about outrage news? Like Church Maleficent, for example, who profits on publishing these stories. Like, for example, James, last week, Church Maleficent published a story about seven Jesuits who didn't inform the police about some uh, uh, a disgusting situation that they probably should have informed the police about. No mention in the story, no mention even from Church Militant Militants, Joe Ballesteri, who is their canon lawyer who's on staff. No mention that canon law required those seven Jesuits to shut their freaking mouths about it. Church militant profiting off of the abuse of children. And then finally, if there's any money left over after all this slush fund, and I'll let you talk finally, James Grind, champion and defeater, conqueror of uh, Cardinal McCarrick. Finally, if there's any left over, sometimes it... Eventually we'll get there. Finally, if there's anything left over, some of it ends up in the abuse victim's pocket. Of course, none of it ended up in your pocket. You're the most high-profile abuse victim probably of all time. Uh, but if there's anything left over, then maybe in this slush fund, this disgusting dark money uh, you know, cycle, this, this black economy, uh, then, then, then the abuse victim gets, gets paid off to, to shut their mouths. Thoughts on the money? Thoughts on the money. So uh, on December 27th, the, uh, the New York Archdiocese offered me uh, a half a million bucks to shut up for the rest of my life. That's all it was worth. To them. And they said that uh, I, I could take it, but I was never allowed to talk about this ever again. I said, well, if I take it up, hundreds of thousands of kids across the world will never, ever be, have their, their voices heard. I cannot accept that. I have to accept the responsibility to expose these people and punish them. I have to do that. And there is money is all over the place coming from, from every little trinket in the world. There, there, there is a spigot called the United States government that spews money out to Catholic conferences in every state capital in the United States and Washington, D.C. And these un unmonitored un uh, un uh, amounts of money are sent to every archdiocese in the nation. First, they're sent to the, uh, the capital of the, of, the, of the state, and then the state uh, uh, directs their monies to different social organizations within uh, archdioceses in 
the state. So the state of, uh, let's say the state of Michigan, the Lansing. Lansing will get like $17 million at the beginning of the month, but they're supposed to be disposing of, or dispersing the money, excuse me, dispersing the money to certain organizations within the, or within the state. A lot of it is going back into the wrong coffers. Going into social justice, uh, justice, and they're 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 uh, basically um, going into the hands of more and more pedophilia type situations, more and more cover up, more and more cover up, and into organizations where uh, the people who are running the organizations get to capitalize on this money spigot, and so that more money is spent on covering up all of the problems. The problems that they themselves created, and they think they can throw money at it to to help stop the problem. They're just creating more and more as it goes on. That's just Michigan. The state of uh, New Jersey is notorious for the amount of money that goes into the state of New Jersey. It goes to mainly to Newark, and. And in Newark, there are hundreds of thousands of kids who are abused every single year. Let alone, uh, this, all of this information came to me right after uh, Josh Shapiro um, published the Pennsylvania report. And he explained to me what happens in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania and how they have so much money going through that. And every all those 1,000 kids on that list, None of them saw a dime because it was their fault, because the statute of limitations had run out, because the church had purposely dragged their feet enough to, to stop anything. And so all the money that came went to different politicians in the state of uh, Pennsylvania, went to different uh, organizations, looked at different lawyers in the state of, of uh, Pennsylvania. Thousands of lawyers work for the church every single diocese. In the United States, there are overpaid men and women who are just writing up or dragging their feet or creating problems and then saying that they're putting out the problems. But the, the real problem is there is Catholic priests in every diocese who are homosexuals, who should not be there in the first place, who were brought there, who have been blackmailed, and now they have to stay there and they get paid next to nothing, but they can't go anywhere else because they have no education. And they collect money from you and I on the, in, in, the parish, uh, in the parish masses on, Sat, on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. There's so much money in the Catholic Church. There's so much money spent on ill projects that nothing can be done about me. There's nothing that can be done about canon law. Everybody wants everything to stay the way it is because it's just so great how much money comes in. So the families that go to the church with their children and they give money on the plate is a mere penance, a mere penance compared to what the money that they get from the U.S. government. And the Catholic Church gets so much money from the U.S. government so that the Catholic Church can become the media center for the whole world. The Catholic Church is no longer preaching God's word. The Catholic Church 
is a media center for whomever is running Washington. But let's go back for a second about all these children who are being abused around the world. None of them will ever see the light of day for them to receive any type of, of compensation for what they did. I'm not looking for a large compensation for what I did. I want some justice. I spent uh, probably close to seven hours of my time in the state of New Jersey at, at, uh, on a commission that was going to open up the window, a two-year window uh, for civil suits. When I arrived at, the, at that assembly, there was five people who were saying no and two people who were saying yes. And there was a long line of people in front of me who were going up there and saying all these things. And there was this one guy over the end who was just flipping pencils on his desk. And I, he was really irritating me. But I was the last guy. And I said, excuse me, sir, could you put the pencils away? You need to listen to this. I sent you this last week. I bet you didn't even open up the email. These 16 pages, Laocise Theodore Carrick in 19 days. You can continue to flip your pencils or you can listen to me and you better open the window. And it's time for you to people to start to realize that these men are not good people. They were put in charge because they have so much ill in their heads. And then they go out and find other people to do their ill for them. And they get some of the worst people in the world. Theodore McCarrick used to go grazing, as I call it, in Central and South America, looking for his next victims and then taking them from their families and pr promising their families that they would get uh, jobs for life and they would go to the seminary. But they had no job. They, they didn't think about coming to here to become a priest. They thought their homosexual life would be fine and that Theodore McCarrick was going to be happy to have them there. That's how all these men who were not supposed to go to seminary went. They're homosexuals. They should not be in the, in, in the, uh, in the seminary. They should not be there. So the John Jay uh, uh, organization comes out and says, well, it's not a, a pedophilia problem. The problem is homosexuality, and every bishop in the United States says, no, 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 you got to rewrite that. Rewrite that and say it's a pedophilia problem. It's pedophiles, 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 pedophilia, because they can, they can find a way to uh, combat the court system with pedophilia, but if you're a homosexual, they have no backbone, and they have no way to, to, uh, to support their own their own thoughts, their own ways of life. And then they decided that pedophilia was a disease. They could, they could go against you with disease. That means that a man who is an active alcoholic and goes out and kills uh, many, many people with his car when he's driving drunk shouldn't be found guilty because, you know, he's, he has a... Uh, he, he's... He's an alcoholic. He can't help it. It's just the way he is. And 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 if and if uh, you know maybe if he uh, maybe he should just be allowed to go on in life. 
No, they put those people in jail. They take their licenses away. They make them live different lives. They remove most of them from society. But a pedophile never gets removed from society because there's so much money being poured into this defense of, for pedophilia that makes me sick. Sick. Where one group of people can be found guilty for drinking too much, but a man can't be found guilty for raping another human being enough. Right. That is the worst word I've ever heard. When I heard that a few times in the last five years, I almost cry every single time. The amount of money that the Catholic Church spends on defending pedophiles is disgusting. James, let me, let me read you a quote and tell you a quick story, and I want to get your reaction to it because I think this is important. Church Millicent's canon lawyer, Joe Balasferi, admits that canon law automatically protects pedophiles prior to 2002 in an email that I have, a leaked email from April 27th, 2021, in which he says, quote, the canonical jurisprudence since Boston has dramatically changed. Just because someone is diagnosed by a psychological expert as having suffered from pedophilia at the time of the commission of a heinous act of child sexual abuse no longer automatically exculpates an offender from punishment or dismissal from the clerical state as a penalty. This is Mark Balistrieri, April 27th, 2021, or 2022, sorry. Church Militant never reported this. And uh, by the way, on April 27th, 2022, Church Militant was preparing for their deposition with me. And the reason given by Mark Balistrieri and others at Church Militant for why they would not run the story and expose to the American and English speaking public that canon law has a defect, which protects pedophiles. The reason that they gave was that they were preparing to depose me. Now 65 full-time employees, 65 full-time employees is 40% down now since they're going through hard times, but it's Biden's fault, of course. Right. Uh, 65 full-time employees were focused on one thing and one thing only on April 27th, 2022. And it wasn't protecting children, James. It wasn't exposing the truth. It wasn't holding the bishops accountable. It was preparing to depose me, Mark Balistrieri, hiding out in his bunker. He is ashamed right now that we are saying his name and we can't say his name enough. Mark Balistrieri, canon lawyer for church militant, admits that for a hundred years canon law has protected pedophiles, but they will not run the story. Why won't they run the story, James? Well, Michael, you must be a very important person that they had to spend all that time on you. Congratulations on being that important. But in realization that they are afraid of themselves. They themselves are part of the Problem that there, as some people have, have, have termed them, famous Catholics. They are appeasing the famous Catholic person who believes that the Catholic Church is just filled with just such wonderful people and that we should not let our church fall. But you see, 
I firmly believe that the church will never fall. The church will only get stronger. If we allow more people to understand the mistakes that the church is making and that these different organizations are making about not allowing canon law to be spoken about, they're just destroying themselves. They're not being truthful enough. They're afraid of the truth. Just like, you know, in that wonderful movie, you can't handle the truth. They can't. They believe that what they have, all of their power, all of their, all of their little trinkets that they get from whatever businesses that give them the money, if they come out against something, they're going to lose too much. But why they would not run a program after they asked, that organization asked me two times in a row in 2018 and again in 2021 to speak at their convention about how I was abused by Theodore McCarran. Why would they not run a program about canon law that protected Theodore McCarrick all the days of his life? They must not like me very much. And I feel sorry for them because at one time I really believed that they knew what they were talking about. The famous Catholics of the world don't want a solution to the abuse problem. Sorry. The famous Catholics in the world do not want a solution to the abuse problem. And the abuse problem is not just by Catholic priests, but it's by highly pollutant people all around the world. As you can see, when children are disappearing, the trafficking, it's all part of it. The whole part is there. There's not much difference between Jeffrey Epstein and Theodore McCarrick. There's not a lot of difference between, you know, how uh, Epstein would use blackmail to get people to do things for him. Theodore McCarrick did the exact same thing, and he does it today. And the reason why you heard in 2019 when, when uh, Carla Maria Vigno says, uh, and they were having a, a sparring for uh, conversations through the media, and, and uh, uh, Vigno says, well, I'm not blackmailable. And then two years later on EWTN, uh, Vigno says, there's only one other person in the world, and that's Grind. He's not blackmailable either. Theodore McCarrick will do a favor for you. You don't even know he's doing it for you. And then he's going to come back and ask you for, for, uh, for, a, for a return. He's done it to everybody he ever knows. So the people who are at Church Milton, the people who are so strong about holding on to canon law have been black. There's no doubt in my mind. Or the people, or they're said, or the people who hold their purse strings are saying, "Well, if you report this, we're no longer going to give you a dime." 
But imagine if you had the grace of God in you, the power of God, what they're trying to talk to you about. And how strong they all these are. They all went to Notre Dame. They all have all this great godliness inside them. If they had the power of God, they would be reporting about canon law. And they would try to stop this at every step. But they don't because they are going in the wrong direction. They are on the wrong side of history. Yeah, they are. James, I want to add, I want to allow uh, our panelists to ask you a parting question. I want to be respectful of your time. You've committed an hour. We've already gone over. I want to ask our other three panelists here uh, to ask you a question. I just want to note that Christine Niles went out to Twitter and said that if the abuse crisis ended, church militant would be bankrupt. Now, as we sit here tonight, on the ninth day of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2023, church militant is halfway bankrupt. So they're already halfway there. But that's not for a dearth of abusers in the episcopacy or in the priesthood in general. Uh, but she admitted that if there were no abuse crisis, they would be out of business. Therefore, they need abuse for their business model. I want to bring in, uh, we'll go one by one. We'll start with James, the Texas trad, who may have a question for you, sir. Hello, James. Uh, thank you for being with us tonight, and thank you for, uh, as always, uh, bringing a lot more needed clarity to this case uh, of abuse in the church, which is um, something that needs to continually be highlighted, um, and we cannot rest until all of this is uh, brought out into the light and uh, vanquished. Uh, with that said, I noticed earlier on you quoted Carlos Maria Vigano, um, and of course, we know that uh, he's turned a, a corner, you know, since I would say 2018. And he keeps uh, continu continuing to uh, speak out on a lot of all these uh, issues out there. Um, is there, and being that you already mentioned him, is there anyone in the church that you see today who for you uh, is some sort of hope? Uh, or uh, to whom you, you, you know, of course, we place all our hope in our Lord, but sometimes our Lord uses people uh, to speak to us and to speak to certain problems. In your mind, uh, out there now, here in the church, especially through all the uh, abuse that has gone on and through your own personal sufferings, is there someone that you uh, kind of look to, or at least hope um, is out there that, that will draw um uh, a lot more attention to to this area, especially where it's needed. Well, for a long time, it was Cardinal Burke. I had uh, many conversations with the man. And then it, then it evolved into, uh, uh, unfortunately, the man is, is still incarcerated, uh, Cardinal Zed. I had conversations with him also. And then I had con conversations with, with uh, Cardinal Seurat. Now, these, these men are all very, very powerful men, but they're also... Reserved. They have to be reserved because uh, not that they're uh, worried that they're going to uh, have their life uh, or, their, or their careers terminated. They're worried that their life will be terminated by the mafia coming out of St. Gallen 
or the mafia that's sitting inside the, uh, the Vatican itself. There are 16 men inside the Vatican, as I speak today, who are mulling about, who pass notes to each other, and they are trying their darndest to stop this stuff, to change it. They cannot be identified by me because I'm just a young man here, but, but I know who they are. They know who I am. I have had conversations with one or two. And I, we, the last two times we had a conversation, we had a two-second conversation, and then we prayed together. We prayed a rosary. And that's all we could possibly do. But they would just say, we are very close to making changes. Is the last thing that I think the media may have heard was about, about three months ago. And they are still hard at work, but there's very little movement that can be done that is going to go forward. And then you have some certain priests, guys just like you and I, except they put on a collar and you and I don't, who believe in God just like you and I do, who believe that their life is dedicated to Christ. And they work really, really hard inside their own parishes. And there's a guy over in, in, uh, in Wisconsin I speak to a lot. And he's Father Robert Altier. And he is a breath of fresh air for me. He has given me such great insight. And he always reminds me, he says, James, you know, it may look like it's really bad for, to you. But to some people, to God, it's probably pretty good because he's starting to expose a lot of this stuff. Where a lot, a lot of stuff was never exposed ever before, and we didn't know that was happening. So when you hear bad things are happening in the church, it's really actually pretty good. Because then we're, more people are getting to understand what's really happening. And it's going to look really, really bad. But we haven't gotten to the bad part. We haven't all been persecuted. But it's coming. Joe Biden's doing a darn good job of that. And the idiot, I mean, no, sorry. Joe Biden's doing a great job of that, opening up the, uh, opening up the floodgates on the southern border. And he's doing a great job of that with the elitists of trying to, uh, to shut down all the supply chains so that, um, all the price of everything goes through the roof. And they're trying to, trying to cover themselves and they're trying to, trying to make things a little bit more difficult for all of us, for you and I, because well, the victim doesn't get anything, and I have to, uh, you know, rub my two pennies together and hope I'm going to make it through life. But, you know, there are some great priests out there. In 2023, I went to confession for the first time in 40 years. And I didn't have a problem going to confession. I didn't have a problem walking in and blessing myself and, and, and repenting my sins. And I didn't have a worry that this man was going to reach across and try to rape me like Theodore McCarran. I had a complete trust for the first time in a long, long time with a parish priest. And it's right here in Virginia. And for that, I'm blessed. I had no idea who he was. I didn't know he even existed. And a second, a cousin of mine said, we might go try him out. He's a Green Bay Packers fan, and I know you probably don't like the Packers, but let's go ahead and just have a conversation. So I spent a few days ipping and budding, and then I decided to go visit. So there are some really solid men in the church. 
James, uh, I want to thank you for a coming on here and two, just for your heroic witness with everything, you know, all the things you suffered. I've worked with people that have PTSD, not, not from sexual abuse. And so I, I can only imagine, you know, the, the, everything you've had to go through to speak on these things, to go to grand juries, to talk to whomever. And so I had just had a, a quick question in regards to McCarrick specifically. So as you know, McCarrick was also heavily involved with the U.S. State Department. And uh, he would be kind of globetrotting around the world. And so this is an article from 2018, um, you know, discussing McCarrick's uh, roles with the with the U.S. State Department going abroad, going to China specifically, and a lot of countries where, well, human trafficking is a big problem. And so they, um, you know, this article from CNA details some of it, just some of the questions saying, hey, wait a minute, and they're dropping down. You know, Bill Clinton said, oh, McCarrick's going to China. He gives a, you know, congratulations to various, um, you know, Chinese bishops and whatever, uh, even after he's suspended from ministry. Um, as part of a religious leaders delegation to Iran, he's, uh, you know, um, you know, just constant reference to McCarrick's activities by U.S. State Department uh, individuals or politicians, like obviously here's Pelosi talking about it. Um, you know, he seems to be all around the world for the U.S. So my question to you is, did you know any, do you know anything specifically about McCarrick's activities abroad. Do you know sp anything specifically um, about uh, you know the, the involvement? Is there do you and, and, and just in your own opinion, if not, do you see this intersection of uh, you know McCarrick with the powers that shouldn't be and the child sex trafficking that we know is, is a huge problem with the uh, secular politicians? I know a great deal. Ryan, I have an incredible binder full of information from FOIAs, from conversations with family members, from conversations I know with, 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 uh, with people here in Virginia that who helped me uh, put a program, uh, a whole project together to expose everything that's happening in Washington, D.C. Theodore McCarrick is the See, they think the, the State Department would send Theodore McCarrick there because he's a priest. And he's just a disguise to go find out how we can rub elbows with the Chinese, how we can rub elbows with the, with the, with the different politicians or the different um, hierarchy of Iran. It's not by mistake that... Um, that Ted McCarrick is best friends with uh, many politicians. You look at all his little pictures of all the presidencies and everything, he's, he's, he's everywhere. He went to Iran when Obama wanted to give the money back to Iran. He was there. He went to China because he, he had to expose, he had to bring uh, uh, businessmen together for the guy who was in the United States who was, uh, whose laptop was sitting around. He had to introduce those people. Theodore McCarrick has been going to China since 1973. He knows everybody. 
And Theodore McCarrick is trusted because he's a Catholic priest. Who's, how can you not trust a Catholic priest? But you don't know what training this man has. See, Theodore McCarrick did stuff to me that I know specifically and pointedly that is part of my case that is not public knowledge. If he was doing it to me, because he had this training that was given to him by the State Department and other, other agencies within the United States, he's doing it to his victim, me, the guy who, who supposedly he loves. Who is he, else is he doing it to? And whether, what is happening to those people? Theodore McCarrick, I said probably in 2020, is and was George Herbert Walker Bush's best friend. And in 1989, go back and listen to George Herbert Walker Bush's inaugural uh, address. To find out what I'm talking about. It's dangerous. Theodore McCarrick is dangerous. All right, my turn. Thank you, thank you James, so much for coming on our show. Um, and thank you also so much for your, your testimony, your witness, your perseverance, because I know that when you come out and say things that, that you do, um, there'll be people that know you're telling the truth about them, but they'll uh, slander you, colonize you, call you a liar to your face and all sorts of things when you know eye to eye that they know what you're saying is true, but you know they can't admit it. So thank you so much for your, your courage and your perseverance. So my question is, shouldn't we all agree that canon law should once again at least require that guilty sex offenders should be laicized and turned over to civil law enforcement? Yes, canon law should be written that uh, to protect the people of the world, that if you are guilty of, of raping a child, you should be punished. You should be laicized, reduced from, the, from a priestly level. Why? What do we do with them? I don't know. We could have, you know, we could put them down on... Uh, on uh, Epstein's Island. We could put them down on someplace else. But we need to get them out of a position where they have access, unlimited access to children because they hide behind a white collar. Take the collar out. They're just like you and I. Take the collar out and don't let them be priests and get them out into a regular society. And yes, he has to be on a sex offender's list. We don't have to put them to death like they did in the 1500s, but we do have to identify them. Yes, they can spend uh, hours in, in therapy. The only way, the only way a pedophile will ever stop being that person, that degenerate, is through the grace of God. The Catholic Church is not giving you the grace of God. 
The Catholic Church is reshuffling your cards and sending you someplace else. Oh, Father John, we're going to give you, we're going to give that problem to somebody else. Canon law has to be changed. It has to be changed so that people who are much younger than I, who are being abused right now, can be protected. The children of the world are being abused. It's not just the Catholic Church. One in four in public school. And I read every, I get so many articles from so many people and so many organizations around the world. And that it was last summer when 250,000 kids in France were told that they could not sue the Vatican by the, by the Hague in Belgium. In, uh, and said that by the, by the uh, International Criminal Court, you cannot sue the, uh, sue the Vatican for crimes against you. So in other words, the Hague said, you're on your own, kids, and you can't, you can't sue anybody, and you can't press charges. So there was no place for us to go. So the... the, the, the the people who are hiding behind canon law are afraid of people like me because I'll never stop talking. I promised everybody in 2018 when I came out and I said that the Theodore McCarrick had been abusing me for almost 20 years, that I was never going to stop speaking, that I was never going to stop hoping and, 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 and cheering for the young kid who gets abused every single day. I'm 65. I've had a great life. 20 years of absolute turmoil was my cross now that I'm outside the other side, out to the other side. And by the grace of God, I have a tremendous faith in him. He did everything for me. Jesus Christ came and he did everything for me, gave me my whole life. And now I live my life for him. I hope that there are more people in the world who are listening to us tonight who realize that the reason why people are being abused is because they can. And they can get away with it. Because their law, the law of the Vatican, the law of Rome, has permeated across the world and they can get away with it. Why is it that I, little Jimmy, at the age of 11, can be raped in New Jersey and never have anybody know about it because of pontifical secret? How sick is that? And it wasn't just New Jersey. You know, I got lucky to be able to press criminal charges against him in Massachusetts and luckier again to find criminal charges in the state of Wisconsin. Otherwise, Theodore McCarrick was going to get away with everything. And I couldn't have him. So I appreciate you, Michael.
I appreciate everybody on this panel, and I appreciate all this time to be able to speak the way I, I really would like to speak. I could go on for days speaking about this. I have so much more information. But, you know, <laughs> you, God, is, God, God, is, God has filled my mind with incredible information, and at one point in my life, I was always angry about it. He has flipped the switch. I'm no longer angry. I'm more direct. And I appreciate the uh, the possibility of speaking tonight. Thank you, James. My my final question to you is: How can we find you? How can we support you? Um, you know, you didn't take the five hundred thousand dollar you know uh, victim abuse cover up payment and sign a non disclosure agreement. You did the brave things. Um, I know things haven't been easy for you. How can people find you, James? I'm on. Uh, you can find me at. At the at the grind report, I, that's where I, I uh, go out once in a while and just spill my beans that are inside my head, and hoping for God to help me. Uh, and there's there's a way there. Just just pray for me, pray for me tremendously. Just and, and uh, send me a, send me a, a, a message on the grind report saying you know we we love you, because there are going to be some people tonight are going to come back and say I don't know what the heck he's talking about. You know, they don't know what I'm talking about because they have the exact same situation that all the famous Catholic people do. They don't want to see the truth. They can't handle the truth. And anybody who says that I don't know what I'm talking about has never, ever walked a single step in my shoes. They don't know what it's like to be me. Not many people do. My brothers and sisters, I have three brothers and three sisters, a great Catholic. All of them have incredible abilities to help themselves and, and create a great life for themselves. Mine didn't work out that way. Because at age 11, Theodore McCarrick decided that I didn't need to have that one. He wanted me as his lover. So it's the grindreport.com where God is never late. And it's a great place for me to be able to uh, to, to to write about stuff. Um, and I hope every day is just a great day. Well, I thank you so much for joining us, uh, James Grine. He is the most famous survivor of clerical abuse and has done so much to clean up the church. Perhaps has been abandoned by those who used him uh, to better their own news organizations. If you want to hear more about the clerical abuse crisis. I can't highly recommend enough Kieran Tapsell's books, including this one, Potiphar's Wife, The Vatican Secret and Child, The Vatican Secret and Child Sexual Abuse. Uh, uh, Kieran Tapsell, I'm sure is a name that you recognize, James. He is an Australian lawyer and reporter who has in painstaking detail cataloged the history of sexual abuse and how canon law has permitted it. And tonight on The Rundown, we are finally beginning the discussion in the United States of America about canon law protecting pedophile priests, thanks to our good friend, James Grind. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good evening, and we hope you do come back soon, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. I'll be back anytime you want me. Thank you very much.
There you go. We'll take you up on that. Mr. James Grind joining us from the East Coast, talking about clerical sex abuse and uh, putting a little more context to this little teaser here, which we're going to play as we transition to the second half of the show. Jay McNally here. I, uh, what I, want, I want to talk about this more because I don't think you fully comprehend the consequences of what you're doing. What, what keeps the whole pedophile thing going? You're, you're destroying your own credibility. You're basically jumping off a high bridge. Balisari, and especially church militants, they're on our side. They are on our side. I, Michael Forrest, everybody at the Wanderer, have done more to oppose pedophilia than anybody else. You are going out of your way to destroy the reputations of these people. I just don't get it. Before 2018, November 13, 2018, Church Millicent was a very small organization. It grew exponentially since my, my speaking on their podium. Beware of these people. Beware of those people because I think they're going to start to use you. I asked them for help. They didn't give it to me. I believe that they are being controlled by somebody behind. Michael Forrest. Trolled. Balisari. Trolled. And especially Church Militant. Trolled. They're on our side. They are on our side. There is nothing that will ever compare to the loss of life that I received at the hands of my abuser. I couldn't, I couldn't please anybody. I was told to follow Theodore McCarrick because he was my savior and my pathway to Christ. So there's no real comparison, but the exact same feeling that if I didn't meet Theodore's expectation, and I don't think I ever met Church Militant's expectation, beware of these people. All right, that's a that's a pretty sobering uh, that's a sobering account. Uh, we are we are really lucky to have had James join us this evening, gentlemen, and we are the first news organization in the United States, serious, credible Catholic news organization, to break open this story about canon law. We referenced the paragraphs of canon law that enable the abuse crisis, and we will continue to discuss it. But, gentlemen. We have so much other stuff to discuss. This is the fastest news week in the history of news. Let's talk about Donald J. Trump for a second. Trump was indicted, ladies and gentlemen, indicted once again. And, uh, well, it's not the first time that he's been indicted, but this is a criminal indictment. This is not a civil indictment. Um, it's not looking very good for him, Ryan. It looks like he was uh, hiding a bunch of documents in places like his shower, actually. Um, national secrets, uh, Iranian nuclear deal secrets. Um, is this the end of Donald Trump? Or is this the galvanization of the selection and installment of uh, Trump 2.0? Which is it? Honestly, uh, it's hard to say. But you look at this case. One, did the defense claim, Trump's lawyers claim, well, 
he declassified these documents before he left. These documents deal with the Steele dossier, the uh, Department of Justice collusion with then-candidate Hillary Clinton, and so many things that he kept for his own protection. Supposedly, I don't know that, but that, that's their claim. And the it, it has all the hallmarks of another kangaroo court that is designed, of course, in my, just like you laid it out, I, I, I agree 100%, to galvanize Trump as the next selection, as the next selected candidate that's going to come out. Because when you look at it, it's like, well, this is just petty. Everything that they will, they impeached Trump twice without any, any chance of conviction, really. Um, over, again, very petty things. Um, and, you know, you look at like the Ukraine stuff. It's like, wait a minute, you're basically indicted, impeaching Trump for what Biden did. I mean, <laughs> you get down to it. And, but you look at the history of people keeping classified documents, Sandy Berger, it didn't even get fully indicted. He made some plea and then, you know, destroyed documents from the National Archives, stuffed them in his pants, went home and burned them. And, you know, he, he did have to make a plea, but then got off, didn't go to any jail time or anything like that. There was no raid. There was no um, major thing. You look at it, Hillary Clinton had a, by even the FBI's own testimony, unless it was just more political theater. Um, you know, emails and classified documents on her own private server, which any idiot could access. Uh, Biden recently was found with tons of classified documents because uh, the Biden family, you, you pay enough money, you get whatever you want, ultimately. And so in Obama, too, it, it, you got a mess. And I'm, I'm, I don't know anything specific to, to W or Clinton, but um, did Bill Clinton, that is. And I would not be surprised if you had a good deal there. It's very selective. But the nature of the justice, as we know, was very selective in recent years. Like you put lock up, J, you know, January Sixers in jail, whose very worst crimes are trespassing and destruction of property. Uh, under the Insurrection Act, a lot of those guys still haven't seen trial. Um, versus uh, people from the Summer of Love uh, and Soros-funded attorneys uh, dropped them. Said, "Nah, we're not going to prosecute that." Uh, wait, 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 what? What? Uh, these guys burned down buildings. You got them on video burning down buildings. No, no. There's only like a handful of convictions and arrests in right. regard to um, in the summer of love. So ultimately, I, I, I think that, you know, this whole bit, it might be more political theater, I, you know, or at the very worst, it really is the current president trying to eliminate his, his best contender. Which, which, which speaks to the, the nature of our country, right? I mean, Father, I mean, you know, we live in a... I, we've banana Republic. Banana Republic. We've been compared to that. And in a banana Republic, I mean, the definition of it is, you know, jailing your opposition in order to maintain your control on the government. Um, how is it possible that on the one hand, you can say we live in a banana Republic and the Justice Department is, or the Injustice Department is not to be trusted. The feds aren't to be trusted. You know, it's, it, it went from Comey's FBI, which, uh, which instigated the Russia hoax, which we now know was an absolute hoax, right? So how can you trust the feds on the one hand, you know, to prosecute, let's say, Father Jackson, but, but then you say, well, we're, we're actually a banana Republic and we have political prisoners and if you oppose, you know, this, that, or the other thing, if you oppose the satanic masses, for example, or if you oppose uh, the COVID lockdowns, for example, um, then that is perfectly permissible uh, for you to be canceled. I mean, you can't have it both ways. We have to decide once and for all if we are a, co a post-constitutional nation or not. And then we have to be pretty, I think, consistent 
in our worldview. We can't cherry pick and say, well, I like the feds because they went after this trad priest I don't like, but I don't like the feds because they went after Orange Man because Orange Man's good. Well, I, I, I think the rundown is the only one who have actually been consistent the whole time. Well, sure. And it's, it's very similar to the argument athe- atheists kind of like always make against theists, against uh, Christians and whatnot. Uh, oh, trust the scientists because the scientists know. Trust Fauci. Um, just trust them because they say so. It's an argument from authority. No. A scientist is, is supposed to be an expert in his field of study and study that which pertains to his field of study. So him being knowledgeable, he can easily demonstrate and explain to the rest of us, uh, uh, smaller people, whatever, um, his findings, and then prove to us, make a case for uh, his conclusion. That's why they have an authority, because they can actually make a case with evidence. Uh, same thing with, it's supposed to be in the federal system. We're supposed to trust them because they can actually demonstrate, they can actually prove their conclusion. They can actually prove their argument. Not simply because they make it and think it, saying, oh, these guys are experts, let's just believe them. No. There's a whole reason why you actually, every, everybody has their, their a right to a day in court um, to, to prove their innocence. And, of course, we're innocent until proven guilty. Or rather, it's, it should be the other way around that the, uh, the government has to prove it's guilty. The, feds, it's, the, the burden of proof is on them. Um, so even the disposition to, uh, to renounce that is, is already a renunciation of the, of the Constitution, that we're renouncing our, all of our rights, because when I renounce it for someone else, I renounce it also for myself, of the right to be innocent until proven guilty. Um, so, yeah, it, there, it, there is a huge lack of consistency, but I think it, it is. Everybody just wants to see somebody else hurt. As, as the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. And so there are hurt people that want to see other people hurting because somehow seeing somebody else suffer makes them feel good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, misery loves company, in other words. Uh, New York City looks like, uh, well, a desolate hell. Here it is. Time-lapse video. New York City. New York City! And it looks like that because of all of these fires that have started in in Canada. Here are the fires that started in Canada, Ryan. All of Southeast Quebec just caught on fire, guys. All of it. Insane. Insane. Look at that. The whole thing. All at once. Just magically caught on fire. Today. This is on top of Nova Scotia, New Jersey, so and weird. the entire western side. Climate change, of course. That's so weird. How did 19 fires start simultaneously in Canada? Uh, you know, uh, bringing the 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 death cloud to New York City. I, I don't understand how that happened. I'm sure it's a coincidence. Right? <laughs> Here, coincidence. It's climate change, man. I mean, goodness. I mean, it's because we haven't accepted Lada to see into our hearts and <laughs> as our personal Lord and Savior. And so, therefore, and of course, I say that there's actually good things in Lada to see, to be honest, in terms of the cosmic reality of the universe and how sin destroys it. There's some actually good thoughts in there mixed in with, of course, like everything else, Vatican II. You have anything good, got to mix it in with stuff that's just rubbish. And, of course, this is now being attributed to climate change. I seem to remember um, there was a U.K. commercial of sorts of like how doubting climate change could get you in jail. And they said that localized events and weather, like when it gets too cold, 
are not indicative of climate trends throughout the planet. Well, when it's on the other side and they want to promote something, oh, look, um, as if it's not from a local thing. It's not local trends in climate. Because, I mean, it, it, like so many things, the, the climate is driven by the sun and, not, and secondarily by the moon, not by... Um, you know, our cars driving, cows farting, all these sorts of things. When you look at the actual parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere and so many things, it's, it, it, it's obscene that, you know, there's so many geological things that, that, that outproduce man in terms of carbon. And of course, carbon is the enemy. Um, it's never been proven that the whole, you know, greenhouse effect and carbon is trapped and all this stuff. That's never actually been proven. That is a grandiose assumption that is still to this very day propounded by the climate alarmists, by the climate, the Malthusian genocidal climate change cult. Here's and the sun. Here's the sun causing climate change. You had to do it. I, I couldn't stop. I myself. say that the world is round and someone else says it's flat. There it is. There's the sun doing its yeah. thing. I'm just gonna cut my cigar. Yes. <laughs> Toaster. Taste those oils. So great. We should have deleted this video from you don't need I should have. I didn't have the time to prep everything. Is round. Another breaking news: the world is round, not flat. All right, uh, <laughs> getting off the getting off the whole climate change thing, I want to talk about the invalid masses because uh, yes. I think we need to dedicate a little bit of time to this. I'll go to Father first. James will be joining us back. Uh, James, the Texas trad, invalid masses in the state of Kansas. Um, so. Archbishop Nauman, I'm sure you're a big fan of him, Father Martin. I'm sure you know him personally and, and uh, have nothing but nice things to say about him. All I know about Archbishop Nauman, besides having met him and shaking his hand, and he was like a slippery little snake, you know, like when uh, – uh, what is that? It's a precursor to Tolkien. It was one of the one of the books that Tolkien read, and it was about – oh, what was it about? Well, uh, this this young man who was a miner, and he had this ability that when he shook someone's hand, he could feel what kind of creature they really were. And we like when you shake somebody's hand and they're a snake, you get a snaky feel, or you get a pig feel, or you or you or you shake a hoof or whatever. Uh, George McDonald. It was George McDonald was an author. This was a, 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 a something that Tolkien grew up reading. Uh, and I and I read this story of the children. I forget the name of the story, but it's George McDonald. Anyway, when I shook his hand, uh, Archbishop Nauman, it was a hoof. It was a hoof. Okay, um, and this is a man who would later go on to very lispily, very lispily say that taking the uh, COVID uh, serum was an act of love. It was an act of love. Okay, love, L U V love. This is the pro life czar in the United States of America. He, um, well, he has a lisp, um, and I'm sure, yeah, I don't, if, if we still had James Grine on, he would, he would have maybe something to say about uh, Nauman. But Nauman came out and said, Father Martin, 
that uh, there are a bunch of illicit masses happening in throughout the state of Kansas because nobody knows the valid matter of mass of the Holy Eucharist after six or seven or eight years of seminary at a cost of what? 20,000 a year, 30,000 a year, 40,000 a year. These 35 a year generally highly educated young men who are spending 35 a year. Okay. Let's say, and if you're on the East or West coast, it's probably, probably more become ordained priests, father. And they don't even know what type of wine to use to confect the sacrament. I don't understand that. And 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 here's here's what's worse. He says it was happening, but it's corrected. Doesn't say where it was happening, how long, who was affected, which priests, which which uh, parishes. Pride mass is uh, invalid. Somebody says, Father, I, I don't even know what to say about this man. Yeah, and unfortunately, what probably happened was this, and I, I can only speculate because it seemed that the news broke because he wrote a letter specifically to his priests and his priest alone, and then one of his priests leaked it. And so he wasn't really intending to tell the rest of the faithful, thinking that they might worry, all that kind of stuff. He was just telling this priest, saying, hey, I'm making a new law since I can't trust you guys with uh, – Choosing valid matter for for the wine, the precious blood. I'm making a new rule. It has to be ecclesiastical wine approved only. And you would think that if someone really had a question about, say, for instance, um, this parish is out in the boonies, you know, two hours, three hours away from the nearest uh, Catholic store that sells wine, and it's it's a hassle to uh, to get it shipped because it's alcohol. You have to have permissions, all this, all this kind of stuff. Let's say there was a, a legit uh, inconvenience. You would think that uh, they would at least write the chancery, get some, their bishop's approval on on a, on a local wine, a wine that they could just buy in a local wine store or something like that. That way they could have complete and total moral certainty that this brand of wine, this type of wine, is perfectly valid. You'd think. At least, uh, you know, it's just a matter of sending an email, sending a, a, a picture, you know, a, a name or something. Very very quick and easy, can, can, can take care of that sort of inconvenience. But the other scenario that I was thinking about that probably happened was, it was just an old priest, um, and I've met priests like this before, who have asked, you know, does God really care? Does God really care whether we can consecrate a tortilla? I've had that conversation with a pri- an 80-year-old priest. I had that conversation, and he, he believed that uh, we could use tortillas for the consecration instead of uh, unleavened bread, unleavened wheat bread. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, God cares. God cares. Otherwise, it's invalid, and it's not God. <laughs> we bring uh, in the studio this morning one of the gay rights activists, Mr. Should I call you Mr. Sure. Pepe Julian Onzima? Thank you for coming in. Thank you for Good morning. Me. Morning to you. Why are you gay? Exactly. So that's another scenario is that it was just this boomer priest. He gave the uh, responsibility, passed it on to the, the secretary or somebody to, to buy the wine. And they just chose whatever was their favor that tasted good. Um, so uh, so th- they, they know better, but they don't actually believe. So they've studied. They know the church cares, but they don't care that the church cares. Uh, so that's another disposition that a lot of priests have. They know the church cares, but they themselves don't care that the church cares. And so they just do whatever they want because that's Novus Ordoism. You just improvise, you know, express your personality within the mass. Um, just as long as there's people there 
showing up, giving giving money, then usually the bishop's going to leave you alone. Um, however, it, it is a huge problem now because I mean, funerals were probably said that are that were invalid masses, so those souls need to be prayed for. Uh, stipends were given. There's a moral obligation. Um, Archbishop Nowman said he has to petition the sea to to figure out a way to resolve all this, but that means they they lose all that money. Some some I mean, are they gonna are they gonna find the priest who uh, who who did all this? I mean, because the stipend's got to come from somewhere. I mean, if, if another priest is gonna be saying the masses, is he gonna be saying a stipendless mass? How's that gonna work out? So it's gonna be pretty interesting. But I do have I do have other stories from the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas that I particularly have experienced. Um, I was sitting on a table with several priests and, and at least two of the priests had a similar experience where they caught their sacristan going into their tabernacles and saying that there wasn't enough of the blessed sacrament, a consecrated host to give out for their, you know, Saturday vigil masses and Sunday, Sunday masses. And so they just go back into the sacristy, into the bucket with, with all the unconsecrated hosts, take it out and just dump more into the ciborium and then put it back into the tabernacle. Two priests have, seen, have caught their sacristans doing this. Uh, and then, of course, taking away their privilege. Uh, oh, my goodness, the privilege a layperson has to go and touch the Blessed Sacrament, get it from the tabernacle, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's beyond bizarre. I mean, think lots of things happen like this. And I guess, unfortunately, this is just the one time Archbishop Nowen got caught. But they don't realize their people don't have the faith. And they are responsible for that. When, when Archbishop Nowen dies, he will be judged before Almighty God for... Uh, the spiritual state of of his diocese of his family this is his family U usually a bishop used to sign their name as uh, joseph of kansas city um because they took on the name of the actual city because this is to whom they're married to that's why they wear the episcopal the episcopal ring uh, they're married to this diocese this, this is their life um this is this is their rib so to speak and so they they they're responsible and you know bishops they just don't fear god Ryan, um, I am afraid that this story is not getting enough coverage and that people are not thinking deeply enough about potentially having unwittingly committed the act of idolatry. Idolatry before an unconsecrated host. Uh, because, uh, you, you know, if the priest does not consume... The host in both forms, it's not a valid mass. There has to be bread, there has to be wine. Otherwise, the sacrament has not been conferred, the sacrifice has not been offered, and the priest has to consume it. You know, when we receive communion, and this is a thing that uh, I think people kind of got clued in on during, during COVID when we couldn't receive communion for various fake reasons, but um, that's actually an interruption. That's, a, that's technically an interruption to the liturgy. The liturgy is about the priest consuming fully the sacrifice. But if there is no sacrifice made, then the priest is just consuming nothing or just human terms. Um, my fear uh, is that the normies are going to explain this away and say, well, it didn't really happen or it's just Kansas City. It's not everywhere. Uh, it's not the whole world. It's not the whole nation. Just, you know, whatever. It's just Kansas. It's just the state of Kansas, which who cares about them, right? Dorothy's clicking her heels right now. My fear is that this is a lot more prevalent than what leads, uh, than, than what meets the eye. And that this was only, as Father Martin pointed out, we only became aware of this because of a leak 
This was not supposed to be in the public view. And it probably is happening more and more than we think. And there may be a question as to whether Novus Ordo masses, generally speaking, if, if you're not morally certain that it is valid, you can't go. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into this. So the, the first one being, like I noticed with the, the Pillar article that came out on this, that, um, you know, it's quickly going to be forgotten about, unfortunately. And then again, too, uh, the, the, the same the posting of the Pillar and Fed, Fed book. There is a lot of comments where you just see average Catholics. Yeah, what's the difference? Okay. And, and people, it shows how poorly catechized most Catholics are right, in, in general. And so... I know priests in the Novus Ordo. I know priests that, that there's no question they're using valid wine uh, to, to, to consecrate the, the precious blood I, for a fact. But how widespread are the ones who don't? And that, that is a really good question. And, and there's a number of things that go on, and like even in the pillar reporting, um, what, what, what was it they were using? Was it Boone's Farm? Like the original thumbnail before circumstances and news changed. You know, I had uh, Bishop Nauman say a mask with a whole bunch of uh, Boone's Farm bottles up on the altar, right? Uh, to drive the point home. I don't know if that's what they used. Uh, Whereas a priest using mustum without permission, uh, which would uh, at least be illicit. Um, is it, and, and then the mustum question is a whole different can of worms anyway. Um, was it uh, Welch's? Was it, uh, when I was in my brief stint in seminary, um, I had a homiletics and pastoral theology class. And um, what the priest who ran it, he brought in a priest that it basically boasted of the fact that there was a youth retreat and they forgot to bring the host and the wine. So he celebrated mass with uh, Doritos and Pepsi. And he was, it wasn't a joke. It was not a joke, which would have been a really bad joke. He was deadly serious. And, and I, I stopped for a minute just trying to process. All right. Did he make a joke? And I just missed it because I'm dense. No, he was serious. And I just said, well, Father, that, that was invalid matter. And he's he like, well, you can't judge these things. No, he was absolutely serious. Now I know. It's like, nah, that's, you know, Father, look, you need to go back and revisit sacramental theology. I'm, uh, I'm out of here. And, of course, I got reprimanded for that, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's short stint in seminary for a good reason. Um, it, it's, it, it's not rocket science. It, the, the requirements are so minimal. <laughs> you get bread and you get wine. They're not that hard. But the innovating nature, uh, you know, with the Novus Ordo and with so many things, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And we use these wines. And I mean, there are complicated things to get into. Okay, well, what is sulfites invalidate? Do what about fortified wine? Now, fortified wines would because it, it's a whole different process like port, Malmsey, um, Madeira. And Malmsey is a type of Madeira, um, you know, those types of wines. They're, they're great, they're wonderful delicious dessert wines they're not proper matter for the eucharist or fortified wines um but but how about just wine so the minimum qualifications are basically um grapes that have been properly fermented and there are naturally occurring sulfates and what happens if you add sulfates uh like a lot of winemakers in this country do um then they are still valid you know because those don't invalidate the matter you still have the grape the fruit of the grape and it is fermented and that's that's kind of your bare minimum. It, it's not rocket science, but and that's why I think for for justice, it should be known. A, you know, one. I mean, what were they using? It, it should be made known to the priests 
what these guys were using just so just in case anyone's confused all right yeah you don't use this and then put out very clearly we have certified these and maybe you need a thing like um like the jews have for kosher maybe you need something that says these are the wines that you can use and only these and nothing else and and that would be fine or you have again like you had the middle ages societies de dedicated to the altar that produce specifically hosts and, and wines that are only in in line with what will make a valid segment i mean do we need to revisit the whole chinese rights controversy do we need to revisit these things that long since have been hashed up by the church in terms of the what is necessary for validity and because i knew we were going to talk about this i went through like every manual i've got every last you know uh, thing I've got, uh, just just double check, you know, and they don't say very much about it. It has to be the fermented fruit of the grape, period, with no admixture of other juices, of other fruits, of other anything else, and that's it. And then that's, you know, a pretty easy go in terms of whether it's red or white doesn't really matter as long as it's the actual fruit of the grape, and it's not fortified, it's not added to, it's not something that changes its nature as wine, it's not Boone's Farm, it's not wine coolers it's not these sorts of things why you want to do that is just it's just obscene novelty and love of novelty and um i know a priest he says well, when you see a, when you see a priest that comes in changing the liturgy around and changing all these things well you got to wonder he's got a moral problem with other things that he's messing around with uh, in terms of six and ninth commandment issues because it breeds the love of novelty which wouldn't surprise me one bit but it does come to the wider question well how widespread is that in the novice like we saw uh, what was it last year Invalid baptisms, invalid baptisms coming on where it's like all of a sudden this priest discovers he's not really a priest because he watches the video and the priest uh, used an invalid formula of baptism. And I joked at the time, I said, hey, my Novus Ordo, my, my Episcopalian baptism, I have more confidence in that than if I was baptized in the Novus Ordo. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's sad, but it's the reality. And that is something that has to be dealt with because... It's not just in Kansas City, I guarantee you. It's not just in these United States, I guarantee you. It's all around the world. There are priests introducing funky things that do not qualify as valid matter, and nobody's paying attention to it. Now, yeah, could that happen in the traditional right? Yeah, it could. Who is celebrating the traditional right that wants to introduce crazy and valid matter? Uh, if at all, almost nobody. You know, and so that's one of the things I think going forward, when you're trying to determine where I'm going to go to Mass, just look at that. Well, and, and it's a weird thing, you know. It's like, kind of like, well, trads are attacked constantly by the left, by the cultural Marxists who say, well, you guys are insular and you think that your trad priests never make any mistakes and, and all this stuff. But the truth is that uh, like on things like sacramental theology, there aren't a lot of mistakes made in the traditional Catholic church. And those, you know, organizations who are invested in the Novus Ordo, such as Church Militant, for example, refuse to opine or report on the widespread liturgical abuses, which have resulted in invalid masses. Now, the consequence of an invalid mass is not just that you have a dry mass or you have a fake mass or whatever. You have duped an entire congregation of people into committing the great like, sins against the first and second commandments. They're, they're committing idolatry. They're kneeling before a piece of bread, which is not consecrated. Oh, then make it clear though, 
In terms of moral theology, St. Alphonsus talks about this a little bit. I mean, you have to have a specific intention to commit idolatry. And so as much as, as, much as the, uh, the people present at uh, a mass where some priests has introduced some crazy nonsense, the people don't know it. Um, the, as far as they are aware, they're intending to worship the body of Christ. So there's like a, like it, it, what was it? Im, immaterially, materially speaking, idolatry is taking place. In terms yeah. of a moral crime, they're not committing it to the extent that they they think that this is just wine. This is truly the body of Christ, and that's what they mean to worship. So people themselves are not culpable for that to the extent that they don't know. Uh, but the priest is. In terms of, you know, he there's no expectation that a priest has gone through seminary that and these priests usually know. And they're like, oh, well, these rigid rules. Let's just do this. It'll be fun. They, these are priests that themselves, um, even if they're not conscious of it, they should know. And they're on the hook for it directly, whereas the people far less so. Right? It's merely material at that stage. The bigger problem is um, the, the fact that they're at a mass. It's not really a mass because that's really what happens when you have, let's say, if you have a valid Eucharist, exactly. but you don't have valid precious blood. Uh, it is not a mass sacramentally, because the, what is the mass? The mass is a representative sacrifice. It is the representation of what took place in Calvary. It is not recreating Calvary. It's not doing it again. It's not these sort of things like in Protestant imagination. No, no. What is it? It is the representation of the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. It's a representative sacrifice, and it has ritualistic actions that have to be followed. So you have the the the, the Holy Eucharist, the, the precious, which is the precious body and the precious blood, separated ritualistically speaking by the two consecrations, and then united in the priest's consumption. So if you're missing one element, you don't actually have a mass. And that's the point. That's the point that I think a lot of people online have, have really failed to grasp. And uh, I wasn't going to ask one more question about this, but I'll kick it back over to Father Martin um, just to drive the point home. Most of the normie Catholics online do not see the problem with using invalid wine or, or uh, unapproved wine uh, because they say, well, you still have the body and if you have the body of Christ, don't you have the body, blood, soul, and divinity? It's all the same thing. Why do you have to have the wine? It's all valid. Y'all are just making a big deal out of nothing, which is which is what trads are constantly of do, uh, accused of doing anyway. Father Martin, what came to light not only is the non-catechesis or anti-catechesis of the priests who are involved in this, which is inexcusable, but also, almost to the same degree of uh, astonishment, the lay people on Catholic Twitter, Father Martin, fundamentally misunderstand the purpose of Mass, uh, of, holy, of what it is, the nature of Holy Mass, the requirements of it being valid. And that all came to light this week uh, because of this one leaked letter that was supposed to be secret where Archbishop Nauman in the state of Kansas is trying to correct his priests from having fake masses. You can't make this stuff up, guys. Can't make it up. But it is true, is, is that the Novus Ordais don't know how uh, theological deficient they are, how much they don't understand. Like, there was a, uh, a priest who makes it a point to look and dress really funny in costumes on Twitter. 
you know, just up as Mario and whatnot, that uh, said something like, I'm really tired of Chad saying that the the mass that I grew up with, where I found Christ and all this kind of stuff. Uh, oh my gosh. Is, is, this, is, the, really is this the is this the fat one with the mustache down and out? Yeah, the, the, the curly mustache. Yeah, okay, all right. Go ahead. You know, and it's like, it's case in point that this this is what this mass turns you into is that you don't understand your faith. You have to go to get two master's degrees in seminary to know something of it. And still, and still those people not guaranteed enough to select the correct wine for mass or to even know that it's even important or to believe it's even important. And so even after, even after growing up as a Novus Ordo Catholic and two master's degrees in a Novus Ordo seminary, you still can't get the wine right. Um, so they could, they always launch the attacks. Of course, like you said, Oh, this happens in traditionalism too. It's like <laughs> not everywhere. I mean, Father John was telling me a story of one time he was, uh, this is up in Canada, and he was kind of celebrating a mass back in his Novus Ordo days really early on, because of course he was in the Order of St. Augustine, and he was in Toronto, he had to kind of celebrate with the uh, the Cardinal Archbishop there. And uh, the evening before, he was getting a tour of whatever monastery that they were at, because that's where it was going to take place. And he was in the kitchen and saw the... Uh, somebody there baking the host for the following day, actually making the host there. And he saw all of the ingredients, the the oats, the honey, the olive oil, all that kind of stuff. It was not pure wheat. And he didn't think anything of it because he didn't, he didn't really ask, Hey, what is this for? He thought maybe it was like a, some sort of treat or something, but then he's just in the sacristy the following day, he sees the, the hosts in the patent to be consecrated. And he realizes that was that bread from the night before that was, that was about to be baked. And so he was kind of flipping out and ultimately the Cardinal did try to consecrate this, this invalid matter in which, in which case Father John just got up and left. And it was a story because he, one of his good friends stayed and I mean, also understanding the situation and they both had a moment together outside uh, right after it's like, we know that was invalid matter. And yet what are we doing here? So it, it even rises up all, all the way to the top. A, car, a Cardinal will look at, you know, bread in front of him. And even though it's invalid matter, We'll still try to consecrate it. Um, I know like, growing up, no, sort of, I, I, at least, I mean, I was receiving hosts that were like cubes and very, very, very sticky. There was obviously something else in it, in it growing up, no, sort of. Um, so I know also this happens. I mean, I didn't know what I was, was happening on until much later in my life when I had my reversion and everything else, but it, it happens everywhere. And it's not, I mean, they really don't have an argument. They can they can convince themselves. They can lie to themselves. They can be in denial all they want. I mean, you, you can't tell someone the truth who won't receive it. Uh, you can't force the light into anybody. They have to open their eyes. Um, and a lot of these Novus Ordites, they're, they're so comfortable where they are, so afraid of being called effeminate, so uh, afraid of actually converting their lives. They love believing in, in our Lord. They love believing. Or they love hearing uh, fuzzy sermons and things that make them think of... Uh, you know, everybody, especially, you know, just making them feel good. But when it actually comes to giving up something that they like doing, oh, no, that's not necessary. Oh, no. All, the, all these requirements, all these rules. It's just, it's just that's the spirituality of the Nova Sword. Is, is get to heaven giving up as little as possible. Guys, we have and actually, well, can I add that there was one occasion where uh, the previous, not the current, but the previous cardinal in Toronto, um, was uh, it made a visitation? He went to uh, you know a mass, a celebrating mass in this one parish, and um, a as he was going, he started. This is like in the nineties, and you know he 
you know, the starts of the institution, whereas then he seriously looks at the bread. He didn't look to the bread for prior. He did the offertory kind of pro forma on the patent, didn't really look at it. But now he's holding that. He looks at it. And as he's saying the words consecration, he kind of stops, opens his eyes, and says, raisins. And then he looks back at the priest, like, where's this altar bread from? And they said, well, we make it here. And so he made the priest go out to the local Catholic goods store and get altar breads because <laughs> this wasn't valid. Um, by any way you, you shook it. And so, you know, and there's, I chalk something up for some guy, at least set some notion of it. But again, you know, what kind of oversight's going on? And how many other times does this take place where the bishop doesn't catch that? Yeah. All right, let's move forward. Guys, uh, Tucker Carlson said that the biggest story uh, in the history of civilization, many people on Twitter have said that the biggest story in the history of civilization is this psyop that's going on called Operation Blue Beam. Operation Blue Beam is to convince people that we are being invaded by aliens. <laughs> Here we go. Aliens are now landing in uh, the United States of America. I saw a map, Ryan. I saw a map where all the people who have seen aliens are depicted on the map. And the only people who have seen UFOs claim to be in contact with unidentified flying objects are in the United States and Great Britain, the Anglosphere. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I mean, practically everywhere else in the world, nobody cares about it. This is like a big hoax. Catholic, uh, Catholic uh, thought about this is that these are demons of the air. Demons of the air is a phrase given to us by Our Lady. Look, um, I'll just come out and say it. I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe in aliens. I think it's all bogus. And I think that this is all actually... Very interesting because Tucker, let me just say one thing, Ryan, before I kick it over to you. Tucker has started a show on Twitter and we don't have time tonight to go into that. And maybe next week we'll show you some of his highlights. And on the highlight reel, we're going to show you how Tucker is absolutely based about Lindsey Graham and the Ukraine and President Biden and all kinds of other things. Fake Catholic is super and chief Joe Biden. But he still lands the plane on episode number one on Twitter about how important it is that in any real society, so-called, in any civilized world, so-called, we would be talking about the biggest story in our in the history of the world, which is that some random guy with no credibility put out a thing on some third world website saying that he thinks that there might be a UFO somewhere in the United States. And, and by the way, they're traveling at hypersonic speeds, Ryan, but they crash in they crash in North America primarily, and we're the only ones that have them, and that's why we have all this technology, etc. I, I it's it's just so loud. I, I don't even know. I, I probably stole half of your talking points, but I am so tired, tired of the nonsense. One more thing, just one more thing. Steve Skocek, the famous apostate who left the church. He actually went out to Twitter and said one of the reasons why he left the church is because he believes in aliens and UFOs, and that doesn't square with Catholic theology. This is, I mean, when you get to the point where you choose hell because you want to hang out with the extraterrestrials, we have a real problem. And it's, and it's, and it's worthy of uh, analysis here on The Rundown. You're muted. No, I must have remuted it. Let me give Skojek the points there for getting Christology and original sin and so many things right. In as much as, yeah, 
Um, I, I personally class discovery of extraterrestrial life with finding our Lord's body did not rise. It's in the same class because it is so contrary. And in Grant, I'm a Trekkie. I love sci-fi. I love it as a, a literary medium. I, I love that exploration and thought and a way to pursue moral and ethical questions in a separated analogous medium. I, I love that. It's fiction. But reality, brass tacks, Christology, soteriology, original sin, baptism, the whole reason and mission of the Catholic Church, revelation itself, Genesis, whatever, alien life does not exist if you believe in all those things. And it is even beyond evolution, even though evolution is part of it. Um, ultimately, really, when you get down to brass tacks, if you believe it, aliens, that is extraterrestrial life, that is body and soul unities of, of sentient life outside of this earth live somewhere else that's a denial of original sin it's a denial all creation fell in adam if you want to say that they oh well maybe they didn't fall and if they did they need that redeemer in christ and the thing is it just doesn't work because everything is localized here god's plan for salvation you're literally saying god um you know put christ on every single level took on all these natures so he doesn't just have a human nature he's got a klingon nature and a vulcan nature and a, i mean just to pull the star trek references whatever um and it, it just it, it's completely contrary to all those notions of soteriology that creation happens here on this earth whether you believe in a flat earth or a round earth or a geocentric earth or an earth that orbit, orbits the sun or an eccentric kind of universe where the sun's out here at the ass end of the galaxy and here's the rest of it. It doesn't really matter when you're getting down to these are far more fundamental. The other things, even though I'm very passionate about geocentrism, there's a level at which that becomes accidental compared to these other issues. And so, um, you know, it, it just it's revelation itself. Uh, you're getting to this point and, and then when you get further, it's been formally condemned. Pope Pius II, it's not like this is a brand new idea. The Renaissance, I love the Renaissance. I'm a big historian of the Renaissance. And guess what you find in Renaissance thought? You find people thinking about extraterrestrial life. People trying to come up with things in the 1400s. There was a, a priest in Bohemia that, that suggested that there were other alios, other human beings, um, uh, alios homines, on other worlds. Uh, you know, And uh, Pius II formally condemned this opinion is in Denzinger. I, I got the references. I, I got to pull it up, but you know, it, it's like, this has been, you know, specifically condemned that there are, there is alien life on other worlds. You know, when we, and again, when we say alien life, we mean sentient body and soul unity individuals like us, like you see in Star Trek, like you see in Babylon five, like you see in whatever sci-fi show, which are great as fiction, but they're not reality. And the thing is, then, and we get down to it, was, what are aliens? What are UFOs? What is all this stuff? And I come down on a twofold, is that, or threefold, I guess. Any sufficiently advanced technology looks like magic. And our magic is scientism. We address the whole notion of magic in, in, in terms of uh, kind of the, the conceived in these scientific terms, right? And so aliens and whatever, that becomes the, the, the new magic basically, but it's cloaked in something that seems like science. Oh, we got to believe it because it's science. And really, when you get down to it, uh, there's not a shred of evidence for that. So I, I think that there, you know, half of UFO sightings, if not more, are government craft, things that are more advanced than we can, we know about. And if, if you really want to get into how far advanced 
technology and research at the government level is beyond what we have. Look up a documentary from James Corbett. You can find it on his website, CorbettReport.com. But otherwise, you can find it around Secrets of Silicon Valley. Has so many things that we kind of take for granted. Our more recent technology were actually developed in the 60s and the incestuous relationship with Silicon Valley and the government and DARPA. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency and how much they pull through to pull through these kind of advanced projects and advanced things. And so people see this advanced craft. Oh, well, that must have been alien ship. No, no, no real, you know, I think could do this. Um, the stealth bomber, we think that's a project of the 90s. They had it in the 60s. They had it in the 60s. We know that now, actually, by the way, that's been declassified. But, um, you know, some of that's advanced tech. The Nazis had incredibly advanced tech. That's why you had Operation Paperclip, because the, the, the Soviets and the Americans wanted to get as many of these Nazi scientists as they could, let them out of Nuremberg and, and we're put these other guys in there. But we'll take these guys, um, even though their level of guilt is equal or better than some of the guys we're hanging here. And, um, you know, we, we want these guys over here. And so that's the reality of, you know, so much of that. And then the rest of it, I would say, then are demons of the air. Um, I, I do not discount the demonic in UFO stuff. Uh, that's certainly a, a factor of play. And then furthermore, people's own hallucinations, because when you have ideas in your head and you take some hallucinogenic drugs, the, the, you know, the brain will work on what's already there and produce that. And so the whole business, the aliens, it's, it's such a distraction. Um, there are no aliens. There is no other life. Sorry to say, other than maybe bacteria or something like that. Maybe there's animals on other planets. If there are other planets like that, who knows? Um, and, you know, just putting that out there, it's a possibility. It, whether I believe it or care is irrelevant. But sentient alien life that is a body and soul unity it, it's contrary to christology it's contrary to the teaching of the fathers it's contrary to, to genesis and that's why i firmly hold if uh, we have confirmed alien life um that confirm not some government fake alien invasion type of thing then uh we you know th then really we got to give up the game folks sorry let's be righteous aristotelians and try to do our best to be good people because then then it's equivalent to finding christ's body didn't rise and like saint paul says if christ did not rise in the dead eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die yeah uh there's a, a the, there's something that is really miraculous to see i mean you know i i if there's one thing I'm good at, it's it's recognizing patterns. It's seeing the same thing over and over and over again and inductive reasoning into like, you know, principles from those things that I see. Um, and again, I'm if, again, if, if I have one talent, Father Martin, if, there, if there's one thing that you can say about me, it's that when I see things, I try to extrapolate principles from those things that I see. What I have seen online with respect to this whole UFO thing is that the, the, the one dividing line between people is whether or not they go to the traditional Latin mass exclusively or not. And if the answer is not, then they love aliens. They just do. They love aliens. And I don't care if it's Dave Gordon at church Milton, uh, you know, who, who's a novice or I, I don't care if it's, uh, if it's a uh, classical theist on Twitter who is basically a novice or die, um, or that is the dividing line. And, and I would contend that we who saw the COVID thing for what it was from the beginning, we who saw it, we're not smarter. We're not more insightful. 
we're we're we don't have these special glasses we don't have uh, a magic ball we don't have uh, any sorcery or anything we live in objective reality living the sacramental life in a traditional catholic way and therefore we see things for what they are we're not smart we just see it we just live in reality that same distinction is now coming true and my fear is that this thing is actually going to be bigger and we're not we haven't heard the end of it um i think ryan is absolutely right this is some kind of priming or training for some other large large psyop that is just around the corner what how better to unite humanity than to give them a virus how better to unite humanity than to give them an existential threat like an alien or whatever um you know I actually have this question that I'm going to ask some of my college students. If CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, if the big three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, if the Washington Post and the New York Times, uh, if everybody at one time announces a thing, right, and, and calls it true, and it's on Google and it's on where, Firefox and wherever you go. And that one narrative is being carried by all of those people. Who are you to say it's not true? How do you know it's not true? If they all say that the sky is green, if everybody says that the sky is green, and you can look up and you say, well, it actually looks blue. Who are you to say that it's not green? The authorities have pronounced on it. If the president does a briefing on it, if the government says there's a briefing on it, if the law of the land, you know, if they lock you down or cancel you or debank you or deperson you or deplatform you, whatever, if you don't agree with it, who are you to disagree with the narrative? So if they tell us, if everybody comes together and tells us, well, uh, yeah, we've got extraterrestrials and we've got the spacecraft and we got all this stuff, who are we to say that we don't, right? But that line, that same bright line that separates the people who saw the hoax for what it was see this for what it is what does it have to do with liturgy i don't know father martin other than to just say that i feel like we are living in reality and we there's no other way to say it. I, I unless you have some other explanation why is it litur why is it liturgical whether or not you believe in aliens beam me up scotty <laughs> anthropocentrism anthropocentrism man is a center of the liturgy for the Novus Ordo and God is a center of the liturgy for the traditional for the traditional Catholic why does this have to do with anthropocentrism well just shortly after the Renaissance in the Enlightenment period um, humanity gets obsessed with technology obsessed with technology because they see the seculars in that era saw religion and morals as a way of bettering humanity, but you know, to, to better humanity so that we don't suffer undesirable consequences or undesirable social consequences. The individual particular consequences are social consequences. But then we started getting smarter with science and mathematics, uh, with creating new things, new technologies, and we saw technologies as a way to escape morality such as contraception it's a technology that allows us to forego morals because well chastity was seen as a way to just not have the undesirable consequence children family um 
But then if we can create contraception, look, we don't need morality anymore. We don't need chastity anymore. We can just take the pill or whatever else and, and go on. So since then, I mean, Sir Francis Bacon said knowledge is power. Since then, humanity has come to think of the next generation of humanity, the next, the, the superhuman, the superman. Um, what's one, one step next in our, in our evolution? Well, it's, it's an intelligent being that is superior technologically. So when sci-fi started being developed, how did they present the alien? They presented the alien as superhuman, something that we should be afraid of. Now, they didn't present the alien as a superhuman in terms of virtue, of living a virtuous moral life, as Aristotle or Socrates or, or Seneca would have, or Cicero or anybody else, the, the classic philosophers would have, would have predicted. They didn't predict, they didn't portray the alien as that, as a, a superhuman in that way. They present the alien as super technologically advanced because they think that the, high, the, the purpose of our intellect is to create technology. But that's, that's a practical science. Um, but in fact, Aristotle will argue, no, it's, it's contemplative. It's speculative. The speculative sciences are higher than the practical ones. And so the greatest exercises of the intellect, the one who has the best and sharpest intellect, the ones who's, who's literally living their, their, fuel, their full uh, human nature, which is an intellectual nature, a rational nature, is one who's living a virtuous life. But our society, our culture thinks that no, the better human is a human that's more technologically advanced. And so that's when they started giving us aliens as the superhuman, something that we ought to be, something we, we ought to look up to and aspire and be wowed by, simply as intellectual beings that are te technical, technologically advanced and their technology proves their higher intellect, not their virtue, but their technology. And so even now, with you were talking about the three uh, the news groups, we have a, a very big problem on our hands, AI, where you can no longer trust your eyes. You can no longer trust what you see. You, cannot, you can no longer believe what you see right in front of your face. Even the things that you see on the internet, even the things pretty soon, maybe even in real life, you have to question and say, where did this come from? Who put it together? Is this really what I'm seeing? Am I eyes deceiving me? Because then that's exactly what Rene Descartes asked. Uh, at the University of Paris, can I trust my senses? If the answer is no, well, what can I trust? What can I be, what can I be absolutely certain of? And they ultimately, his conclusion was, oh, my my own existence. I have to start there because everything else I can everything else I can deny except for the denier. If I deny the denier, I'm not. I, I can't exist to deny. So that's it's a self refuting uh, philosophy. So I have to at least admit that I exist. And so that's what he said, cogito ergo sum. And that's what also led to everybody else to believe in. Uh, I mean, one of his sons is Sir Francis Bacon and Hobbes and everybody else. So um, I think it's actually a huge trick to get us art to become all of us to become Cartesian. AI, aliens, uh, the Nova Sorta liturgy. It's all about being Cartesian. Yeah. And um, famously, you know, the, 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 there was a deception in the in, in this whole thing. You, you take a stick, you immerse half of it in water. It appears to bend. Therefore, you can't believe what your senses are telling you. You can't believe your eyes, right? Because light is bending and, you know, well. all of modernism based on a bent stick. But we do. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to talk about Michael Voris and his bent stick. We're going to go talk about. I know, I know. I shouldn't have said that, Ryan. You don't, you don't like it. I get it. I'm sorry. 
Uh, I'm looking for our unpopular video, unpopular opinion video. Here it is. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. Prepare to be mesmerized. Get on your tinfoil hats. Get out your pies for opinions more unpopular than an alpha male at a gender studies retreat. It's the Rundown's own Unpopular Opinions segment! And of course, it's me first, so I'll give, I already gave basically my unpopular opinion, which is that I knew Father Jackson, I loved Father Jackson, he was a great man when I knew him, an upright man, and um, if what Mike says is true, this is all part of a big legal maneuver to get around his being basically set up, I sure hope so, I so desperately hope so. But my unpopular opinion is, even if all that's true, pleading guilty, or put it this way, if you plead guilty, to like a possession of child pornography, which should be, or in this case, he's pleading to the reception thereof, I mean, which granted brings a legal jargon. I don't know what the statute says in terms of legal ver- or to reception versus possession. Um, but if you're pleading guilty to that, then even if you are innocent and you're looking for a way out of a bad situation, you should get the death penalty. And in, in, in this scenario, hypothetical scenario that father jackson is innocent i sure hope he's innocent i really do um but even in this scenario if you you know you, you know you're innocent but you see the cards are stacked against you the eye of sauron is, is framed you up as it were then what you really need, you need to do is accept the death penalty and accept that it'll all be reconciled to the last judgment and so and that goes for, I guess that goes for me if I'm accused of a capital crime, you know, if uh, I was going to, you know, in, in, in a real situation where you're not sitting in life in prison for 20 years while appeals get fought and all these things. Um, summary judgments given, or you got one week to get your affairs in order and you're going to the scaffold. If I looked at it and I pled to some capital crime because I, hey, this will be easier than going to trial, then I should be willing to take the death penalty. And so... Um, that's, that's my unpopular opinion is that if father, even if father Jackson is innocent, pleading to what he has pled to should merit the death penalty, even if he's innocent and and it'll be, you know, ultimately better for him because the last judgment, it'll all get squared away and you'll all be able to see who the bad actors were and what the real thing happened. So that's it. Father Martin. I'm debating between two. Um, my unpopular opinion is I think things are not going to go very well for Trump, even though things look very, very good in the sense that his trial, um, the, the judge judging it was appointed by by Trump. Um, but I think he's really going to have to pay for the one campaign promise that he didn't keep in 2016, which was to drain the swamp. Uh, he didn't work hard enough at it. Obviously, part of the swamp locked us all down for for two years, um, and he wasn't really wasn't too sorry about that. But um, I think that whatever plan that they have orchestrated, they're not going to quit until until they they win. 
So um, I think he's between a rock and a hard spot right now. And uh, and this is, of course, extremely bad for our rule of law in the United States. I mean, but when there's no truth, how, how can there be a rule of law? So because anyway, because the left has, you know, discarded truth and even the right with the whole uh, gay pride flag thing, discarding truth, natural law. Um, both both of it, both of it is is they're, they're both responsible for um, denying the rule of law because it's a denial of truth. So uh, I think we've got more bad news uh, about Trump coming coming our way. All right. Uh, my unpopular opinion tonight is that uh, Gary Michael Voris, Gary the Fairy, um, who has lots of issues, including a collapsing pox face and perhaps carrying a venereal disease, is a liar. And he says that Trump, or he says that uh, 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 Taylor Marshall and others refuse to condemn pedophiles i have said i don't care if a priest has behind his name if he has the letters fssp sj op order of preachers ofm friars institute of christ the king i don't care what letters are behind his name sspx if that priest molested kids jesus christ already told us what to do with him you get a big millstone you tie it around his neck and you throw him in the ocean I didn't make that up. That's what Christ, the second person of the Trinity, said. Zero tolerance for sexual abuse in any group, any diocese, anywhere. I don't care if you're a pope, cardinal, archbishop, trad, not trad, whatever. If you use your authority, your spiritual authority as father, pater, and molest children, vulnerable adults, seminarians, whatever... I think you deserve the millstone in the in the ocean. Absolutely. Right away. Right away. That's interesting because we are constantly told that we don't condemn these people, but we do. We report on it and we condemn them. By the way, I said this about Father Jackson on day one. Day one, which is the original fundraising video. I want to note about the Gestapo tactics here that are so common uh, and the history of the use of planting evidence. I'm not saying that that was done here. I don't know what happened here. I'm not saying that that was done here. I don't know what happened here. So I'm willing to follow the facts wherever they lead. And that's why I set this up the way that it's set up. I don't know if he did it or if he didn't do it. He has a natural right to the best defense that he can muster. And if we're wrong, if we're all wrong in presuming his innocence, we're willing to face that truth. But at least we will have discovered it and verified it ourselves. I would just like to conclude by saying that we need to prepare ourselves for the truth, wherever the truth may lead us. And the truth may be something unsavory. We may come to find out that in the end, we didn't know Father Jackson the way we thought we did. And I'm prepared for that. And I think you're prepared for that. That was part of the original fundraising video, which will not be aired anywhere on Church Militant because they are professional liars. Michael Voris is, of course, a trained liar. I want you to know that last night at around 11 p.m., Michael Voris was texting me, telling me uh, how awesome he was and how wonderfully uh, accurate his reporting was. 
And then again, he texted me this morning at what time was this? Oh, that's right. Um, 6.45 in the morning. So at 11 p.m. at night, he's thinking of me. And at 6.45 in the morning, he's thinking of me. The reason why he's thinking of me. 7.45 for him because he's in Michigan. Yeah, well, then midnight for him because he's in Michigan as well, Ryan. It's like the, whole, the, the, the institutionalized left is so big. It's so wealthy. They can take a hit. Mm -hmm. What conservative group can really take a hit where 20% of your stuff just goes down the drain? I, I, you just lose it for a month. I, I mean, most conservative stores, businesses or whatever would probably fold. The reason why Michael Voris is obsessed with me is because his organization, his organization is shrinking and they couldn't defeat one hobby podcaster. Yours truly. You heard it earlier today when we were talking with James Grind that the reason they would re refuse to report on canon law, besides the fact that they profit off of children being abused, they literally profit off of children being abused. They've admitted that on Twitter. Besides that is that they wouldn't report on it because they were all obsessed in, on, in late April of 2022 with me. So I... I am the most dangerous person in uh, Michael Voris's life, which is why he goes to bed thinking of me and communicating with me and waking up communicating with me. I can't wait for his Vortex episode, which will be viewed by less people than who viewed this rundown episode. Uh, his uh, influence is waning and his, uh, his punishment from God actually, I think, is a mercy. It is a mercy for a homo narcissist to drift into irrelevance because irrelevance is God's gift to the homo narcissist who needs the attention, who needs people looking at him at all times. Why am I talking about Michael Voris, you say, when uh, Father Jackson has pled guilty? Well, because you know what? I think we need to take a little bit more time to digest the Father Jackson thing and not rush to judgment. I think the person who prudentially observes the situation for just a little bit longer than most people, takes it in and digests it, is ultimately going to make a better decision. Gentlemen, we need to grift. <laughs> we, we need to grift because I, I don't know how many times, maybe 17 or 18 times, and I've been called by, well, one person, uh who texts me at 11 p.m and 6 a.m uh i've been called a grifter even though i do this as a hobby i have a day job i have real employees a real business a real life real family i actually have children and a wife who loves me um unlike you know uh well i guess that guy uh time to grift <laughs> That's a player's gift. I yeah. know. I need to find it. I can't. Okay. Yeah. It's going, going to me first. I'm unmuted. That's great. So I'm putting up uh, my Gibson Go again. Um, the reason being, you know, so we, we did up it at a certain point. And the reason we did so is because I need to hire a nanny. No, I do not need to hire a nanny because it's a uh, third-party way to get a wife. 
<laughs> I'm not ready for that now emotionally, psychologically, or anything else. Because I mean, I was married to the perfect woman for 18 years. There's no way that some 19 year old that comes in is is someone that I'm going to be interested in marrying. So um, rather, I just need the help. Uh, I've got a full time business. I've got kids to raise. I've got so many irons in the fire in every direction. I got property to clean up. I got so many different things, and so. I haven't set up the appeal yet for the nanny. Um, I've got someone locally that was working with me. We're going to get that set up to go basically hire somebody that, that will live nearby, but not in the house. Um, and that's one of those things is like the way my house is set up. Theoretically, I could just like vacate the master bedroom and say, all right, the nanny sleeps here and we get the toddler bed set up and, that's as cool and I'll do the extra room, but the propriety element just comes in where it's just like, you got a 22 year old or a 25 year old living with you. That's not your wife. That looks bad. Yeah, it does look bad. It looks bad for her. I don't care about me, whatever, but it looks bad for her. And, and so I need to have costs to pay for rent for this woman to live locally nearby, reasonably nearby. And at the same time, be, you know, and be able to drive down, uh, managed my toddlers, trained my toddlers, helped me train my toddlers. And, you know, so I can get all the nonsense that I got to get on a daily basis in terms of paperwork. I just went through a thing where I'm trying to get my refinance done in my house. I get paperwork like every other day because, well, um, yeah, when we started that process with the refinance, because we had a construction loan in the house, put the mobile home down and then Sarah signed those documents and then the refinance and Sarah signed those documents too. Uh, and uh, now she's uh, in a place where she doesn't need to worry about that, but I do. And the title company does and legally speaking they do. And so I had a, a good grief. It took me like two weeks and, and, and then, you know, go through a lawyer get, because part of it is Idaho is a community property state. So you just can't get that expunged through a legal declaration like you can in other States. So, and now I got another more time to wait and there's more documents. They want to for grief. And so it's like, that means I got to go to post falls and I got to get my, because I don't have a printer at home. And so I've got to, because the printer is my business printer. It prints all the invoices that come to you when you buy my books. And uh, that's my only printer. <laughs> and so I've got to go do that and then go get that notarized. And then go get this notarized and this thing done. And then even going forward, you know, I've still got so many things with the, between the business and other things I'm starting that, um, you know, but still I need an adult in my house. My, my boys are good. My boys are wonderful. They're, they're, they're smart and, and they're on the level, you know, but I need an adult in the house. I need someone yeah. that can. And, and the thing is, like, you push your kids too far. My kids are not replacement parents. Um, they, they can fill that role when I'm gone for X number of hours, um, but you push it. It's like it says in Ephesians, you know, parents don't push your kids too far. And, and that's where it's at. You know, it's like, you know, filling in the hole that an amazing woman that did incredible things that I can't even begin to enumerate um, that, that even just recently got a testimony from uh, someone that when, when she was, you know, dying, you know, he went in and saw her and, and the first thing she was worried about was how she was doing. 
uh, not about how, you know, not relating her sufferings or anything else. Just, oh, how are you doing? Um, and can I do anything for you? Even though she's in bed, bedridden because cancer is destroying her freaking stomach and all these things. So anyway, so that, all that. So I'm looking for a nanny. And, and like I said, someone's going to live nearby, maybe for a year till I, I can get things in order. We get in the groove, we get things recovered and so on and so forth. So that's why it's why I raised the give, send, go, you know, up to 350 and uh, mostly to be able to pay for that. I, I oh, good grief. I need to do uh, Every time I look at this thing, it's like crap. I got the login on this thing. Now I need to do updates. I need to send thank you letters. And I need all the stuff. I haven't done it, but anyway, so that's, that's what this appeal is for. Obviously there's still mediatrixpress.com buy books. <laughs> I make the money from those books. I can pay my employees. I can, um, get uh you know things together but you know i make profit on that obviously but with the give send go that's more directly that's going into a separate account that uh, basically pay for babysitting right now and uh my kids futures and other you know improvement things in the property that my wife absolutely would have backed that are important for us in the future not stupid creature things or whatever and um, you know, and that's the, that's kind of the, the, the run of the mill of it. So, I mean, it's hard when you lose it. And of course it's one of those things too with life insurance. Like we didn't have life insurance because like, yeah, we need to get that in order. And then when we got on the property, you know, when she was pregnant before any of the problems manifested, we said, yeah, we, as soon as we have this baby and we get the in order in the, in this house, we're going to sit down do our wills. We'll do life insurance, do all this stuff. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> Instead, discovered she was cancer before we had the life insurance in place. So I have that in place now for me, thankfully. Um, God forbid anything happens to me, you know, at least the, the kids will be provided for. But it's something we should, probably should have done a while back. But it was always in the back burner. When you're a large family, you're moving, you're, you're trying to get things done. You just don't think about those things. You just don't worry about those things. Like, yeah, we'll do this. We're covering this. We're taking care of this. And there's so many different things at every level, every minute. You're just like, yeah, yeah, we'll get this eventually. Unfortunately, eventually caught up with us a lot sooner than we thought. So anyway, so that's why that's still there. And I just kind of figured I'd put it in. Give, send, go, slash Sarah Grant. Um, or is there a dash between Sarah and Grant? Well, if you just put it in Google, give, send, go, comma, Sarah Grant, it'll come up. The, the first hit. So uh, if you do it that way. But uh, if you are inclined, and I know many people in this audience have given me things I haven't written you thank you notes for yet. I'm sorry, but I know you understand. Um, and I absolutely thank every single person that people in my parish, which is Fraternity of St. Par Peter Parish here in, uh, in Post Falls, St. Joan of Arc, and also Immaculate Conception, the Society of Pius X Parish, people from both parishes have given us uh, you know, money and assistance and help and you know, it, it, which is really amazing to see everyone come together in spite of whatever contemporary issues, you know, the, the, that the, the clergy in one place anyway want to use to divide another. It's, it's really uh, great to see everyone come together and say, hey, look, here's a family that needs help. We're going to help you. And so that's it's been a huge thing for me. Uh, the, the women that have been coming and helping um, every day. Uh, you know, I've got coverage almost every day now, you know, to help with things when I need to go to town, I need to take your ex. I've got it. Thanks be to God. You know, I, I better than I deserve, frankly. So. I'm a bad grifter, as Mike usually says, because although the intro is all about money, I'm not going to grift 
for money this week. I'm just going to grit for some more prayers. Uh, on Wednesday is June 14th, and that is the uh, anniversary of Father John's priestly ordination. Uh, he was ordained in 1986. Um, so if you keep him in your prayers this Wednesday and uh, pray for the repair of his soul, I'd uh, be very grateful. That's all I got. That's it? That's it. Pray for Father John. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I need to throw my weight behind a grift that couldn't even be given today. This is uh, this is James. James needs a new laptop, and he's only asking for twelve hundred bucks. But literally, the reason why James the Texas trad is not here right now is because his laptop crapped out. And he travels a lot, and on sometimes on Friday nights, he's not at home, and he's out on the road. Oftentimes, we will do these rundowns on a Thursday night, where he's definitely not at home. He's out on the road. So um, I am asking you, ladies and gentlemen, please, to consider going to James Needs a Laptop, created by James the Texas Trad. Now, he gave us... What is the link to this? GiveSendGo.com slash James the Texas Trad. That's GiveSendGo.com slash James the Texas Trad. He's raised $440 as of this live broadcast. And he's only asking for $1,200. He's a third of the way there. We need to get this man a laptop, guys. I'm really, I'm, I am fed up with it. I am ready to hear the wisdom of James the Texas trad, sometimes called James the Nigerian trad. But if you go to givesendgo.com slash James the Texas trad, you can, in fact, help him get a new, a functioning laptop, for goodness sake, so that he can continue doing the rundowns, which you are all here for, and you are here to hear. Send him to outer space to find. What do you think we need input. to do? Oh, oh we, we need a revolution, yeah, and we need it no, now, no. not like. I. I am not gay. I have relationships with women, sex with men. And I got news for you. I believe that together we can make America great again. And with your help, your heart, your devotion, and your efforts, we can build a community of hope that will inspire the world. God bless you, and thank you very much. He said it. It's his phrase. Say the picture of the, of the Clintons and the, the Trumps together at a wedding. I mean, you know, and the Clintons, the Trumps, the Obamas, the Bushes, they're all there. Yeah. Ryan's muted. Ryan's talking, but he's muted. It's one big club, but you ain't in it. We're not. What happened to James the Texas trad, I wonder? That Catholic faith and Jewish power are like the two pans of a pair of scales. 
As Catholic faith goes up, Jewish power goes down. As Catholic faith goes down, Jewish power goes up. Because the Jews have always been, from the time that they crucified our Lord Jesus Christ, they have always been enemies of, of the Catholic Church. I'm Jewish and I approve of this message. <laughs> this is the rundown thank you so much for watching god bless you please subscribe to the channel the rundown youtube channel and consider joining the crusade channel crusadechannel.com slash parrot two r's two t's and parrot passcode parrot to get a one free year of your premium membership i have two shotguns on my home they're locked in a safe there's a metal gun case we live in an area that's wooded, somewhat secluded. And I said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony and fire two blasts outside the house. Buy shotgun, buy shotgun. You don't need machine gun, you don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotgun, buy double barrel shotgun. No, you don't need a flamethrower. You don't need a tank You don't need an AR-15 Scare those thugs away No, and I don't need a grenade launcher I don't need an F-15 There's just one thing I need to do And they'll stay away from me Fire two blasts outside the house Buy a shotgun Buy a shotgun Buy a shotgun Buy a shotgun, baby You don't need a machine You don't need a machine You don't need 30 rounds Buy shotguns. Buy a double shotgun. Fire two blasts outside the house. Buy shotgun. Buy shotgun. You don't need machine gun. You don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotgun. Buy a double shotgun.